following radio programs are original broadcasts. While enhancements have been made to the audio for clarity and listener enjoyment, no other edits or modifications have been made. The listener may hear advertisements and notices for tobacco products, alcohol, food, and or services that may no longer be available, nor are they endorsed by whose blind life is it anyway. Listener discretion is advised. Good afternoon, everybody. This is Pepsi Mama, and I want to welcome you to the another episode of the Afternoon Radio Theater Sunday. And we're glad to have you. Uh, it's Sunday, as in S-U-N-D-A-E, ice cream. And for those of you who are, who are new or who just think I'm loco, uh, the reason I do this is just to do something a little bit different. So... I like to put together a Sunday, and part of that is discipline because I'm a type 2 diabetic, and if I can put it together and imagine I'm eating it, uh, then I don't crave it as bad. But I started this a few minutes ago, and well, it's been longer than that now, but I started this earlier, and was I was on a roll. Everything was coming up roses. Uh, it sounded good and everything. And then uh, the food bank knocked on the door. So I had to pause and get that. And then pest control came and I had to pause and get that. So uh, anyway, when I started over again, it hasn't turned out the same. So here I am. <laughs> I am here along with my co-host and geek Victor Gouveia and um, if you want to write to him his address is whoseblindlifeisitanyway at gmail.com for those of you who may be new it's w-h-o-s-e b-l-i-n-d-l-i-f-e at gmail.com if you want to email me or send me comments or what have you. My address is Afternoon Radio Theater Sunday, S-U-N-D-A-E, at gmail.com. So there you have it. Um, but you, if you follow us on Twitter, uh, if you follow me on Twitter, uh, you can get me at Moni60, M-O-N-N-I-6-0. If you want to Facebook me, I'm just simply Monica Jones, M-O-N-I-C-A, and then J-O-N-E-S. So if you want to follow me there, you can. So there's all the ways that you can get us. If you don't like any of those options like Facebook and Twitter and YouTube, uh, you can find us on whatever podcast player or place that you like to go for podcasts this afternoon I'm doing um, detectives and investigators and the first one that I have is the 21st precinct and it's kind of like Dragnet because Dragnet does true stories taken from um the Los Angeles police files. The 21st Precinct is kind of the same, 
except that it has um, uh, it, it has stories from the New York City area. This one that I'm doing today, uh, it reminds me of of an episode of Dragnet. In that Dragnet, the story was about a little girl. And she'd gotten bitten by a dog, or by a couple of dogs, actually. Um, she wanted to play with them, and I reckon they didn't want to play, so they bit her. And they were going to have to um, find those dogs by a certain time, or if they didn't, she would have to take uh, the rabies shots, which, as it happened, she was allergic to the radio, the um uh, the rabies shots and so if she took them it could kill her so uh, fortunately that turned out good they found the dogs and, and they didn't have rabies and uh, they were up on all their shots and this one is like I said it takes place in New York City and it's the same thing uh, except that it's uh, this one is a little bit different in, in the fact that the little girl gets bitten and uh, the dog in question belongs to this elderly woman and so the woman doesn't want to give them the dog to check it out because um, she's afraid she won't get it back now this little girl uh, is not allergic to the shots but they're awfully painful so you know they're doing their best to get that woman to let them take the dog and you know she kind of wants to but she's afraid and but finally they talk her into it and uh so she gets him back and it's well I sh- now I'm telling you the story yeah go figure uh but I think y'all will enjoy that one. 21st precinct sergeant Klein well who got bitten how four Where's the dog? You are in the muster room at the 21st Precinct, the nerve center. A call is coming through. You will follow the action taken pursuant to that call from this minute until the final report is written in the 124 room at the 21st Precinct. All right. You just wait right there in the emergency room. Yes, right there. I'll have an officer come over. Yes. Right away. 21st Precinct. It's just lines on a map of the city of New York. Most of the 173,000 people wedged into the nine-tenths of a square mile between Fifth Avenue and the East River wouldn't know if you asked them if they lived or worked in the 21st. Whether they know it or not, the security of their homes, their persons, and their property is the job of the men of the 21st Precinct. 21st Precinct, 160 patrolmen, 11 sergeants, and four lieutenants of whom I'm the boss. My name is Kennelly, Frank Kennelly. I'm captain in command of the 21st. It was 3.55 p.m. when I came into the precinct house for my night tour, which would keep me on the job until 8 the following morning. As I signed the blotter, Sergeant Burns, who was filling in as desk officer, told me that acting superintendent of buildings of the department was in the house making a routine inspection. After I turned out the platoon, I went upstairs and found the acting superintendent of buildings on the third floor. I called his attention to the cracked plaster in the hall ceiling on that floor and to the fact that during the last winter the radiators failed to heat the floor comfortably. 
On the way down, I showed him the worn condition of the stairs from the second floor to the back room. And as we came out into the muster room, I told him about the plumbing difficulties in the cell. Well, thanks, Captain. Uh, do you have any idea when these repairs will be made? Well, there's a lot of work to do, Captain. There's nearly 100 buildings in the department, and most of them need work, lots of work. Oh, yes, I understand that, but some need attention sooner than others, don't you think? Oh, yes, yes, some do. That's why I'm making the inspection. Well, this uh, muster room, for instance, it hasn't been painted since 1941. Did you realize that? Uh, Captain, you know I'd like to do everything, and I'd like to do it right away, but there's been only so much money appropriated. Well, it's been a pleasure, Captain. Sign the blotter and get on my way. A little bit behind schedule. I still have to visit the 23rd this afternoon. Where were you? Oh, uh, Mr. Balney wants to sign the blotter, Sergeant Burns. Step on around the back of the desk, Mr. Balney. Right over here, Mr. Balney. Well, thank you, Captain. Uh, that one's got whiskers. I used to use it myself. Winging on time. What's doing, Sergeant? Oh, nothing much, Captain. Except that young fellow over there is waiting to see you. Who is he, do you know? He says his name is Weald, Harold Weald. Said it was personal. I told him you were busy. He said he'd wait. He wouldn't tell either me or Sergeant Burns what was on his mind. Excuse me, Captain. Yeah, go ahead. 21st Precinct, Sergeant Klein. Well, thanks for all your courtesies, Captain. I'll try to get something done. I promise you that. Oh, you uh, what, ma'am? absolutely necessary, Mr. Balney, that we get sufficient heat up on the third floor. No one can work with that. Listen, madam. It's a long time until winter. Please, madam. Yes, it was a long time since last winter, too. That's when I reported. Madam, uh, you have my word, Captain. There'll be someone here within two weeks. All That's right. a civil action, madam. If he owes your money, we can't collect it. You better see your lawyer. Oh, uh, I'll talk to that fellow that's waiting, Sergeant. Yes, sir. If you can't afford a lawyer, go to the Legal Aid Society. The Legal Aid Society. Mr. Wheel? Yes, that's right. Captain Connolly? Kennelly. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, that's all right. Well, what can I do for you? Well, listen, Captain, I'm sorry to bother you, but I got an awful problem. It's my kid. Well, what's the trouble? Well, she got bit by a dog. When was this? Friday morning. Where? In the playground there, you know, 66th Street, York Avenue. Uh-huh. How old is she? Four. She's four. Excuse me, Captain. Yes? Division Captain is calling in for you. Oh, all right. Thanks, Sergeant. I'll take it in my office. Yes, sir. Come in, Mr. Wheel. Yeah, thanks. Her mother takes her to the playground almost every day. Go ahead. Thank you. Have a seat there. I didn't think there was anything to it. Excuse me a minute. Oh, yeah, sure. Captain Kennelly. Hello, Denny. Oh, just fine. When? Well, uh, just a second. Let me look at my chart. Yeah. Yeah, I'm working Monday. Where? All right, I'll be there. Okay, so long. How'd you happen to get bitten, Mr. Wheel? Well, I wasn't there personally. I, I was working. Mm-hmm. What do you do? Me? I'm a driver for the Ace Taxis. I should be on the job now, but I thought I'd better take off the afternoon and get this straightened out. Yeah. How bad was the bite? Well, bad enough, I guess. He, he got her in the thigh, you know. He really dug in. Did she get medical treatment? Oh, yeah, yeah. My wife said the lady with the dog was very nice. Janet, that's my wife. She got kind of excited at first, but the doctor fixed it up, said nothing serious. So I, I forgot the whole thing, you know, until I got a call from my wife this afternoon. Uh-huh. What happened then? Well, my wife was all excited and... She called my dispatcher, left word for me to call her. When I did, she said somebody had been around from the Board of Health. Told her they couldn't get hold of the lady with the dog, and if they didn't by tomorrow morning, she'd have to bring the kid down for rabies shots. There's 22 shots. It takes 22 days. 
Well, where does the woman with the dog live? In this precinct? Well, I, I don't know whether it's in this precinct. It's uh, Mrs. Charles Winkney, 190 Sutton Place North. That's in this precinct, yes. So I took a walk over there before. It's a big apartment house, very expensive. I started to go in. The doorman asked me who I wanted, so I told him the whole story. Mm-hmm. He buzzed up to the apartment. There wasn't any answer. He told me a policeman had been around two or three times today and the day before. The policeman couldn't find anybody there either. Is he from here, that policeman? Yes, that's right. In uh, dog bite cases, there's a 480V notice to be served on the owner. Mm-hmm. A notice to deliver the dog to the ASPCA for observation. Well, anyway, I, I got to talking to the doorman, and he said he thought, sure, somebody was home because the elevator man heard the dog barking in the apartment when he when he went up there on the floor for something else this afternoon. Oh, is that so? Well, I'm, I'm only going by what the doorman said the elevator man said. Now, look, the lady was very nice, but I, I, I don't want my kid to go through any 22 shots. What's more important, a dog or a kid? What do you think, Mr. Wheel? Well, I know what I think. The important thing is what you think. That, uh... Mrs. Whitney, her husband, is a big-shot judge, the doorman told me. You sit here, Mr. Wheel. Well, I'll sit here, but is that going to get me action? That's what I want, action. That's what you're going to get. I'll be right back. Sergeant Burns. Yes, Captain? What are you doing about a 480V on a dog bite case? All right, is that this one on Sutton Place North, Captain? Yes, that's the one. What are you doing about it? It's still hanging, Captain. Lieutenant Snyder said he had a man go by there three times during the day tour. There's nobody home. Well, did they go upstairs and see? I don't know about that, Captain. He just said it was still hanging. They haven't been able to serve it. I gave it to Singleton and told him to try as soon as he got over there. You know who that is? That's Judge Charles Whitney. Yes, I know. Now, listen, the father of the child the dog bit is in my office. He's been told to bring the child down to start a series of 22 rabies injections beginning tomorrow morning... Unless that dog is delivered today. There doesn't seem to be anybody home, Captain. Well, the father says the doorman told him there was somebody home. Now get on it. Yes, sir. I went back into my office and told Mr. Weald, the father of the dog bite victim, that we would make a further effort to serve the 480V notice on the owner of the dog. I advised him to return to his home and promised that we would notify him later concerning any results we obtained. Patrolman Singleton rang in and reported that he again went to 190 Sutton Place North and attempted to reach the occupants of the Wintney apartment by the house phone. There was no answer. He left a copy of the notice with the doorman. He was instructed to go upstairs and knock on the door. In the meantime, I read and signed such reports as had accumulated since I was last on duty and placed them in the box to be sent by messenger to division headquarters. At ten minutes to five, I went back out into the muster room and walked over to the desk. He's trying to reach the judge at his office, Captain. Good. Uh, Sergeant Klein, did uh, Singleton ring in again? No, sir, not yet. Judge Charles Winley's office, please. I thought this might be the quickest way to get some information, Captain. Well, it might be, yes. Hello? This is Sergeant Burns at the 21st Precinct. Is Judge Winley there, please? Oh, is he? Oh, I see. Well, when? Well, thank you very much. Oh, uh, did Mrs. Winley go with him? Uh-huh. Yes, I see. Well, thank you very much. He's uh, out of town, Captain. Yeah? He went to Boston for the American Bar Association Convention. The secretary expects him back tonight. He's flying in. Oh, did Mrs. Whitney go with him? No, sir, not that his secretary knows of. As far as his secretary knows, Mrs. Whitney's at home. I see. Look up the telephone number of their apartment and call over there. Yes, sir. 21st precinct, Sergeant Klein. Their phone might not be listed, though. Yes, England. What'd you find out? Is that Singleton, Sergeant? Hold on. 
Uh, yes, sir. It's single. All right. Let me talk to him. Uh, take it right there, Captain. Hold on, Singleton. This is Captain Kennelly. Yes, sir. Did you serve that notice? Uh, no, sir. Well, did you go up to the floor? Yes, sir. What happened? Well, I knocked on the door, Captain. There wasn't any answer. I heard that dog bark inside. I knocked again. Finally, she came and talked to me through the door. Who came? Mrs. Whitney, Captain. Well, wouldn't she open the door? No, sir. I told her I had the notice to serve on her to deliver the dog for observation. She said she wouldn't give up the dog. She wouldn't open the door. Did you explain to her that the Department of Health just has to examine the dog, that they won't molest or mistreat the animal? Yes, sir, but she refused to open the door. Where are you calling from now? Uh, the lobby of the apartment building. All right. You stay there. I'll be right over. Yes, sir. Sergeant. Yes, sir. Put out a call for a car to come by the house for me. Yes, sir, Captain. She's there, huh, Captain? She's there, yes. So is the dog. She wouldn't open the door. Uh, CB, is this... Well, did she say why she wouldn't, briefly? Captain? No, that's yes, what I'm going over to find out. What if she still refuses? Okay. You get a warrant to go in and get the dog. That won't look very nice. Cops break down judge's door. Some headline. Is this better? Four-year-old girl takes 22 anti-rabies injections. No headline. You are listening to 21st Precinct, a factual account of the way police work in the world's largest city. When you were playing... And now back to 21st Precinct and Captain Frank Kennelly. The disease of rabies is almost extinct. This is due almost entirely to the cooperation between police and public health authorities and the strict enforcement of the laws relating to dog bite cases. These laws call for the compulsory observation of dogs and other animals who are carriers of the disease after they have bitten and for compulsory treatment of human victims bitten by an animal that has escaped. The fact that the disease is now rare does not lessen the strictness of enforcement. The idea is to keep it rare. At 5.05 p.m., the car came by the station house and drove me to 190 Sutton Place North, a new apartment building in the higher rent classification. As we drove up, I saw Patrolman Singleton on the sidewalk in front of the building. A man was standing there talking to him. All right, wait for me here. Hello, Captain. Singleton? Uh, Captain, this is Mr. Tedburn. He's the super of the building. Uh, the resident manager. Mr. Tedburn? Uh, how do you do? You've been waiting down here since you rang in, Singleton? Yes, sir. I really don't see what's all the excitement, Captain. Don't you? The Whitney's are respectable people. He's an important judge. To have policemen running through the halls over something like this, it's ridiculous. Mr. Tedburn, I've just been talking to the father of the girl who was bitten by that dog. If that dog isn't delivered for observation, that four-year-old girl will have to start a series of 22 injections. Is that ridiculous? Well, I just want to save embarrassment is all. There's no embarrassment on our account. If she'd accept service of the notice, everything would be very quiet and simple. What kind of dog is it, Singleton? Well, the doorman told me a boxer can't. Uh, that is right, a boxer. Ah, big fellow, hmm? Yes, sir. All right, let's go up. Yes, sir. Do you mind if I come along also? Ah, I'd be glad to have you, Mr. Tedburn. You can see that we don't embarrass anyone. The doorman held the door open for us, and we walked into the foyer of the building. It was decorated in black and white. On the elevator, Singleton directed the operator to take us to the 14th floor. When we got off, Mr. Tedburn led the way to apartment 14B. No one was in the hall. Either the neighbors on the floor didn't know what was going on, or they didn't care. Ah, uh, this is it. Shall I ring, Captain? Go ahead. Yes, sir. There it is. Try again. Yes, sir. 
This is Whitney. We're police officers. We want to talk to you. Uh, it's easy wonder the neighbors haven't complained about that dog. He certainly does raise the roof, doesn't he? Mrs. Whitney! You know, Captain, I'm beginning to more and more see this thing from your point of view. Are you? Under these circumstances, I think I have a right to use my passkey. Got on the door chain. Mrs. Whitney, please. Go away. Close the door. Please. I want to talk to you, Mrs. Whitney. You can't take him. I won't let you. Well, I'm not going to take him. I want to talk to you, that's all. Where is she going? I don't know. Well, she's coming back. She wants to put the dog in the other room. I want you to shut the door and let me alone. You don't seem to understand the seriousness of this, Mrs. Whitney. You want to take Jeff away. I don't want to take him away. He's all we've got. Jeff's all we've got. We have no family. Just Jeff, that's all. I'm not going to take him away. I just have to give you this notice. Singleton. Oh, yes, sir. Here it is. I want you to take this, Mrs. Whitney. No, no, I won't. It's a notice to deliver your dog to the ASPCA by 10 o'clock tomorrow morning. Well, I'll take it, but I won't deliver him. I won't. You can't have him. He's the only thing I've got left. The only thing. All right. Let's shut the door. Thank you, Mrs. Whitney. I won't. Do you think she will bring that dog down there? I don't. She's been served with a notice. Okay, Singleton, get back on the job. Yes, sir. People can live in a building 20 years and you never know they ever existed. 20 years. Hit that elevator bell, will you, Singleton? Yes, sir. Then a little thing like this can cause so much trouble. It's always the little things that cause trouble, Mr. Tedburn. People seem to manage the big ones. We rode down in the elevator. I thanked Mr. Tedburn for his assistance and came out of the building with Singleton. He resumed walking his post and I got into the car and went back to the precinct house. There, as the officer who served the 480B form on Mrs. Whitney, I filled in the lower half and delivered it to the desk officer to be forwarded to the Bureau of Preventable Diseases, Department of Health. Sergeant Burns told me that Patrolman Mercado had come upon a boy, 17, in the act of turning in a false alarm. He chased him up the stairs of a tenement and over the roofs of three adjacent buildings before he was apprehended. The boy admitted turning in at least five false alarms during the last month. I went on patrol of the precinct, during which I stopped on post number two, saw Patrolman Mercado, and congratulated him on the arrest. Later, while I was still on patrol, there was a radio signal to call in. We stopped at the nearest box, and I was told by Sergeant Klein that a visitor was waiting for me. Judge Charles Whitney. I had my operator drive me around to the precinct house. When I got out of the car, I instructed him to pick up his partner who had been taking his meal period and resume patrol. As the car drove away, I crossed the sidewalk and walked up into the muster room. Hello, Sergeant. Captain. 21st Precinct, Sergeant. Where's the judge? I suggested the judge wait in your office, Captain. Good. All right. Oh, uh, what's doing, Sergeant? Oh, it's been a quiet tour, Captain. All right, I'll be in my office. Yes, sir. 21st precinct, Sergeant Klein. Okay, the what? Judge Whitney? Oh, hello, Captain. Uh, we've met before, haven't we? Yes, I think so, at some dinner. Oh, yeah. Well, sit down, Judge. Thank you. I just got into LaGuardia from Boston an hour ago. Yes, sir, I know. I understand you were over to the apartment, Captain. Yes, that's right. We were there. Now, I'm sorry if we found it necessary to be a little insistent with Mrs. Whitney, but I don't have to tell you the law in these dog bite cases, Judge. 
If I wasn't able to effect service the way I did, I would have been required to get a warrant and break the door down. I hope you were able to explain that to Mrs. Whitney. Captain, I haven't been able to explain anything to Mrs. Whitney. She wouldn't open the door for me either. Wouldn't she? No. I came home from the airport and went upstairs and tried my key. And she had the chain on the door. Wouldn't open it. Wouldn't even talk to me. The building manager came upstairs and told me what had happened. Well, I'm sorry, Judge. Well, it's not your fault, Captain. I don't blame you. I should have seen it coming. Perhaps I even knew it was coming, and I couldn't bring myself to believe it. What's that, sir? A breakdown. I should have seen it the night I left for Boston. It was the same night that Jeff bit the child. Oh? Uh, he's a boxer, you know, so we named him James J. Jeffries, Jeff for short. Mm -hmm. I told her before I left that she would probably be called upon to deliver the dog for observation. And I should have seen from my attitude then that this was going to happen. I was in a hurry to catch the plane. She was all right until then. I understand she was fine when the dog bit the child, that she took the mother and the child to the emergency room, paid the bill, so forth. Yes, that's the report we got, too. But the minute I mentioned the possibility she might have to turn Jeff over for observation, she... she, she changed. Well, what was the reason for the change, you know, Judge? Yes, I do. I think I do. See, Captain, we had two sons, Richard and Charles Jr. They were a year and a half apart, 19 and 20. They were in school at Yale. Last June, they were driving down to New York after school... Their car turned over on the Merritt Parkway. They were both killed. Both of them. Well, I'm sorry to hear that, Judge. If you have children of your own, you can imagine what it did to us. We went away, but that didn't help. Nothing helped. For myself, I found escaping my work. A judge can work hard, you know, and I did. But Nora didn't have anything like work, I suppose she... She turned to the dog. As Jeff was the boy's dog. When she saw the possibility that she'd lose the dog, that brought it on. I'm sure that that's the answer. Well, it probably is, yes, sir. She wouldn't even open the door. She doesn't even trust me. If I'd have known what the circumstances were, perhaps we could have used some other means. There wasn't any way for you to know, Captain. I, I'm not worried about that now. She's locked up in there alone. That's what I'm worried about. I don't know what's preying on her mind. Well, if you want to go into the apartment, Judge, I can call the emergency squad to give us a hand. They have a way with doors. Yes, you know. but... It's only as a last resort. No, I... I'd like to try persuasion some more. I had the door open this wide, the same as you did. I, I called to her. She wouldn't answer. I couldn't think of anything else to say or do. I came over here. Well, do you have any ideas, Captain, besides the emergency squad? I mean, Well, perhaps I have one, just one. It might work. I don't know. Anything, Captain. I'm willing to try anything. Judge Whitney was a forlorn-looking man as I left him sitting in my office and walked out into the muster room. I gave Sergeant Klein instructions to have a car drive around to the precinct house to pick us up. Also, I told him to have sector car number one go to the home of Harold Weald, the father of the dog bite victim. They were instructed to locate Mr. Weald and ask if he would accompany them to 190 Sutton Place North. The car came by to drive Judge Whitney and myself to his apartment house. We rode the elevator to the 14th floor in silence. This way, Captain. Yes, I know. Oh, of course you do. Well, I'd uh, suggest you try your key again, Judge. Yeah, that's a good idea. Still on the chain. Nora! Nora! 
Why don't you try calling the dog? If he comes to the door, maybe she will too. Yes, that's a good idea. Jeff, boy. Hey, Jeff. Hey, Jeff. Hey, Jeff. Come on, Jeff. Usually comes when I call him, Captain. Well, I think she has him in the back with the door closed. That's where she had him before. Nora, please, please come to the door, Nora, please. Nora. Well, let me try. Mrs. Whitney. Mrs. Whitney. All right, wait, you're right. One room in, Captain. Oh, yeah. For a little while, we'll kid him, Captain. Hello, Captain. Judge Whitney and Mr. Wheel. Hi. How do you do? Judge, Patrolman Singleton. How do you do? Please and nice. He told me about all the trouble you've been having, Judge. I don't like to cause any trouble, but after all, my little girl... I think it's the other way around as far as trouble being caused is concerned, Mr. Wheel. Now, don't worry about that. Well, I think you better call the emergency squad, Captain. This isn't going to do any good. Try again, Judge. Once more. All right. Nora. Nora, please come to the door, Nora. Nora. I think she's coming. Close the door, Charles. Let me in, Nora. You've got to. Close the door and go away, Sweetheart, Charles. sweetheart, now please. I'm not going to let you in. You're part of the law, too. You're on their side. Mrs. Whitney. Close the door, please. This is Mr. Weald. He's the father of the little girl. Oh, how is she? She's all right, I think, ma'am. I'm sorry. I'm terribly sorry. Jeff never bitten anyone before. I think it was an accident. I think he was just trying to get that red ball she was playing with. Just the red ball. He's a very good dog, really. Yes, ma'am. Are you sure she's all right? We hope she'll be all right. She has to take 22 injections. 22 injections? Why? Because we can't get Jeff to see that he doesn't have rabies. Oh, Jeff doesn't have rabies. You know he doesn't. We have to make sure, ma'am. That's the law. I don't want to hear about the law. That's all I ever hear about. You don't want that little four-year-old girl to go through 22 injections, do you, Mrs. Whitney? Oh, no. That'd be a shame. Well, it's up to you. It's not up to me. Jeff doesn't have rabies. Anybody can see that. Anybody. When were you told to bring your little girl to the Department of Health, Mr. Wheel? Tomorrow morning, 10 o'clock. All 22 at once? No, ma'am. It takes 22 days. Oh, no. Poor little girl. Now, nothing will happen to Jeff, Mrs. Whitney. Believe me, they'll take good care of him. You'll have him back. They'll keep him. They'll take him away from me, just like everything else. 22 injections. That's right. And she's such a little girl. How old is she? Four. Yes, four. That's right. She was crying and her leg hurt her. But those little curls with a ribbon. I remember those little curls with a ribbon. I never had a little girl. I always wanted one. Not 22 injections. Yes, ma'am. 22. Please close the door. Mrs. Whitney. Please close the door. I can't get the chain off if you don't close the door. Yes, ma'am. What's she waiting for? All right. Take it easy. Sweetheart, I'm sorry. I'm very sorry. There's a lot to be sorry about, isn't there? So much. Thank you, Mrs. Whitney. Nothing to thank me for. Just in there in the bedroom. I'll see that he gets where he has to go, Captain. Good. Young man? Me? Yes. 
Yes, ma'am, Mrs. Whitney. Watch her. Watch her every minute. Every minute of your life. Yes, ma'am. Because without her, you won't have any life. Twenty-first precinct, Sergeant Klein. He jumped, or he's going to jump. Where is he? On a ledge? Where is it? He's seventy-one. And so it goes, around the clock, through the week, every day, every year. A police precinct in the city of New York is a flesh-and-blood merry-go-round. Anyone can catch the brass ring, or the brass ring can catch anyone. 21st Precinct, a factual account of the way the police work in the world's largest city, is presented with the official cooperation of the Patrolmen's Benevolent Association, an organization of more than 20,000 members of the police department city of New York. Everett Sloan in the role of Captain Kennelly. Featured in tonight's cast were Lawson Zerby, Wendell Holmes, Bill Zuckert, Don McLaughlin, Barbara Weeks, Bill Lipton, and Donald Vane. Written and directed by Stanley Niss, Gaylord Avery speaking. next one that I have for you is an investor investigator called Pat Novak for hire and uh, this one is called uh, Mysterious Books and it was a good one give it a listen and if you want to hear more of them uh, let me know and I'll sure be the American here. Broadcasting Company presents Pat Novak for hire Sure, I'm Pat Novak. For hire. That's what the sign out in front of my office says, Pat Novak, for hire. It's about the only way to make a living down on the waterfront in San Francisco. Because if you ever tried to practice the Ten Commandments down here, they'd steal nine of them and frame you with the other. So I rent boats and do whatever else comes in handy to make a buck change pockets. Sometimes the hustle pays off. Sometimes you get lunch instead. Last week it was neither of these. I hung around my place at Pier 19 day after day and nothing turned up at all. Just when I began to wonder if people had forgotten how to phone, a babe gives me a jingle. She sounds nervous and talks about trouble. Asked me to come up and hold her hand. I end up at a joint on the marina slant of Webster Street. 
It was probably important stuff once in the way a gold-plated living. Now it's just a tired wooden boarding house with about 30 people filling up space designed for a dozen. The paint was peeling off the walls. The garden had been on its own so long it was beginning to look like a jungle. When I rang the doorbell, I'd have given even odds a zombie would open it. I was nearly right at that. It was Hellman, a detective from City Homicide with a disposition made up of equal parts of hating people and confusion. Right then, though, he wasn't himself. His fat face was wrapped in smiles. He looked like a cat who'd learned to open the icebox. Sorry, Novak, we don't want any fish today. You're being glad. Somebody must have broken their neck. You're wrong. Again, and as usual. Somebody had some sort of bad luck. As bad as you can get. Dead, huh? You're too late this time, Novak. The killer's already in the bag. And you got the drawstring. I'm not complaining. Now scamper off somewhere and find another sucker. Put the brush away, Hellman. If you got the killer, it's even money. It turns out to be four other people. I don't know. The department managed before you dragged into town. We stumbled, but we got by. You can say that about a wine bomb. How you make it fit, you stumble on out of here, Novak. Yeah, yeah. But first, who done it? The landlady. She evicted a guy named Burke, the hardware. He didn't live here. He rented a room for some kind of an office. He was a freelance bookkeeper. She said he made too much noise working his machines at night. Did she confess? It's open and shut, Novak. No room for your chisel. Well, she confessed. Maybe you can pin it on her. What do you mean, pin it on her? The way you work, you couldn't prove Warren's governor. That's not my department, but keep on being smart and see if I can prove you'll fit in one of our cells down in Kearney Street. Don't strain your head, Hellman. I don't want any part of anything you're near, including this place. I'll buy that, too, and I'll breeze out of here. When the press shows up, don't worry about giving him your best profile. Either way, you'll look like a sack of potatoes. <laughs> Either way, you'll look like a sack of potatoes. Gee, that's good, Novak. Before you tell Hellman that, you better go somewhere and grow a little. Look, Novak, how'd you like a tip on a horse? I got a hot one in the fifth of Del Mar tomorrow. I got a tip for you. Get out of my hair before I have to comb you out. Gee, Novak, that's no way to talk. I could be your friend. The guy was small, even for a midget. Since the rooming house was so full of interesting people, I decided I didn't want to go away after all. So I went back up the steps. Was just going to try my luck when the door opens from inside. The guy with a welcome is either middle-aged or he's done a lot of careful living. His face is as smooth and as neat as a barrel full of apples. You notice it because he acts like he forgot his face when he went into his act. The rest of them is as mysterious as an attic in a B-horror picture. I didn't need any puzzles right then, so I started to brush them off. Especially when I noticed the suit. It was so ragged it looked like he was made up to put the bum on the town. But then I decided to play it for the last. How would you like to make some heavy money in a hurry? I quit buying oil wells. I'm not fooling, would you? Who are you? Name's Jack Lansom. I'm Burke's assistant, who used to be. Yeah. He looks like quick, easy money for an undertaker. For you, too. Sure. Why not? And how? Burke has some papers in his home safe that I don't want poured over by any flatfoot snooper. They're my papers. Burke just kept them there for me. I want you to get them. I don't see any splints on your legs. I can walk, but I can't leave. Hellman's going to question all the tenants. So what do I do? Go to this address. It's on Knob Hill. Here are the keys. It's wall safe, not a combination. Just two locks you have to open at the same time. The papers are in a sealed envelope marked Lansom Private. Get it and bring it here. I don't know. When a guy dies, the feds move in. They'll want to list his stuff for taxes. These aren't financial papers. They're just some private letters and things. I don't like flirting with the FBI. How would you like to flirt with 1,000 bucks? 
If the stuff's worth that much, it must be hot. I need those papers. Do you get them for me, or do I phone somebody else? I could change my mind. Here's a hundred dollars. There's nine hundred more when the stuff's in my hands. You had me fooled there. You don't dress to fit this kind of dough. So I save my money. Are you going or not? Give me the keys. Lots of luck, Novak. Hey, hey, Novak, wait a minute. About that horse. Go I... get a glass of water and drown yourself. <laughs> It looked like a cinch. I flagged the cab up to the place on Knob Hill. It turned out to be one of those society page joints, all glass, brick, and snobby's doorman. Getting up to Burke's floor was as easy as walking up six flights of back stairs. The hall was empty and the key fitted. It was all so easy I began to get nervous. And you would, too, if you walked in on her that way. She was a toy-sized brunette with a perfect kind of face that could mean anything from nice people to quick death. She was smooth and beautiful. I you can say that about a whirlpool. If my breaking in bothered her, you'd never guess it from looking. Oh, hello. Toss your hat on a chair. I've been working the wrong districts. I'm glad you're here. Why, for instance? Hmm, girl gets lonely in a place like this. Uh, Berkey's out, and I don't know when he'll get back. You forgot something there. Folks call me Blanche. What's your name, friend? Pat Novak. Uh, you go with the lease? I'm uh, in and out. Berkey doesn't like me to tell it, though, but everybody knows it, so uh, what kind of secret's that? Didn't I surprise you when I walked in like that? Mm-mm. Berkey has a lot of friends. They come and go. I'm used to it. For a bookkeeper, Berkey does all right. He's uh, good at figures, don't you think? If he had my account, I'd be nervous. Mm, don't you know? He just came into a lot of money. I'll bet that's a comfort to his clients. Oh, to me, too. Have a cigarette. There's some in the box there on the coffee table. Mm. These are cigars. Oh, Oh, yeah, well, uh, I have some in my purse. Never mind. I'll settle for a drink. Okay. Well, I'll be. What do you got? Mm, that's kind of hard to say offhand. Uh, let's look in the kitchen and see. Mm-hmm. Hmm, it ought to be up here. But it isn't. I knew a girl that way once. <laughs> Bertie must have moved the bottles. Uh, look around. Uh, try those cabinets. Oh, I'll get there. Hey, wait a minute. Take it easy. What's the matter? Jumpy. Good evening, Miss... Is Mr. Novak in? Yeah, I'm in. You and your horse are both out. But Mr. Novak, it's a good horse. You always come and cry? No, it's Pinky. He's been on my tail all night. Aren't you curious about why I'm here? Hmm. You must be a friend of Burke. Would it matter? What do you mean? When you get tired of playing with those doors, let's admit you don't know where Burke keeps his boots. I... You don't know where he keeps his cigarettes. You don't know anything about the place because this is the first time you've been here. You're acting like a detective. Put it down, I'm just curious. And you can still fill in my question. Why not say I, uh, wandered into the wrong apartment? You don't seem anxious to get out. Maybe I like the company here. Come on in the living room. He probably has the liquor in there. That isn't what you were after. Why don't we settle for my being lonely? The town's full of lonely babes. None of them look like you. I know a cure. Do you? Let me guess. Well, I guess when you can be sure. Like this. Now I know. Fill me in on the rest of your visit. Huh. I'm busy. Or, uh, I could be. All right, let's close the post office. Did you get the papers? I could soak. 
Men don't usually treat me that way. They'd live longer if they did. Look, baby, I'm not swinging any bats until I know who's pitching. Do you give with where you fit in, or do I have to bend it out of you? <laughs> you know, I think I get like you. A dame gets tired of men she can twist around her fingers. Yeah, sure. I'm fascinating. Give. Don't flex your muscle. I'll tell you. Denver Red sent me. You're sure it wasn't Pittsburgh Pete or Chicago Clark? Uh-uh. He's real. You're not too particular about what you call a man. He owns a nightclub called the Knife and Fork out on Geary Street. Then what? He sent me to get some papers Burke has hidden around the place. A small envelope. Did you find it? Sure. Here it is. You want it? You give up easy. I don't have to do this sort of thing to get along. I told Red that. What else are you going to tell him? I'll tell him you took the papers away from me. Unless you got a better idea. Put on your flaps, sister. What if I didn't go back to him? What if I went with you? Uh-uh. I don't like your recommendations. Don't worry. I won't pretend I wouldn't drop you as soon as I found a better man. What do you want? Eternity? I haven't got time for that. All right, sucker. So, I go back to Red. He tears telephone books in half and things like that. So, uh, watch him. I'll try to manage. Oh, here's the booze. Let's drink to something or other. Why not? Yeah, sure you won't change your mind. About anything? Why don't you leave me your phone number? I got a better idea. Sucker. She timed it, but nice. I hardly started to get my hand up before she hit me with a bottle. The room began to spin, and I tried to stand up, but my knees gave way. I could hear her footsteps a long distance away, running, and the door closed. I shook my head, and some of the cobwebs went away, but not enough for me to get started. By the time they did, I knew it was too late. I looked around, and the package of papers was gone. Yeah, the more I thought of how easily I'd been done in by that dame, the matter I got. Then I remembered no one was supposed to know about the papers except Lansom. Decided I better check on the play. I got on the phone and talked my way through a flock of bars until I ran down an alcoholic friend of mine named Jocko Madigan. He's an old-timer around San Francisco who knows more about the town than the city planning commission. He sounded good over the phone, which must have meant they were watering his drinks. Patsy, my boy, how are you? Curious. I'm sitting in on a racket that's beginning to develop too many curves. You sound like you're in a Girl Scout camp. You ought to be ashamed of yourself, you nasty, immoral and... Put down the horn for a minute. I want you to do me a favor. If I had a daughter and you were even in the neighborhood, I'd lock her in the cellar. I can't imagine what those Boy Scout leaders are thinking about. They were Girl Scouts a minute ago. What did they do, pull a switch? Anyway, Boy Scouts don't camp, they hike. Look, I just got sat by a dame who stole some papers. Uh, they, uh, up Mount Campbell Pius, they hike. That's Her name's Blanche. She's tied in with a guy named Denver Wren. He runs a knife and fork club out on Geary. Oh, those poor kids. And that mountain's almost straight up, too. She man. just left here. She ought to be heading for Denver Red's place. What are the papers? I know you don't own them. You you can't read. They have some stuff in them that'll put the heat on a guy named Jack Lansom. He likes it cool. A thousand dollars worth. Oh, uh, speaking of money, there's a friend of yours here. Hello, Patsy. This is Pinky. Imagine me talking to you on the telephone. Imagine I've gone deaf. Hey, Jocko, if you can hear this, pull that punk off the line. Okay, he's gone. He said he had a horse for you. Look, dummy up to that guy. He's been floating around all night. And I'd be floating, too, if you'd be nice to him. I'll grab a cab and go out to the Knife and Fork Club. 
When Blanche shows up, see if you can find out what she does with the papers. Are you buying the drinks and the cab fare? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What are you going to do? I'm going back and see Lassen. This was supposed to be a closed deal, and will you hurry? The dame will be there and gone. Don't worry about me. You couldn't keep me away from the place. I'm growing wings. Yeah? Why the sudden lather? Well, if you're buying the drinks, there's no use my scrimping. I'm suddenly developing an awful longing for some good, well-aged scotch. So long, lover. I ducked out of the place and started along the street looking for a cab. It was growing foggy and I couldn't see very well. In fact, I could see so little I didn't notice the car drive up. But I could hear the driver all right. All right, Bob, inside the car. You must not like arguments. Don't think it won't shoot either. Get in. You're a Patsy Novak, ain't you? You can say Patsy twice. Don't sulk. I'm doing you a favor. Yeah, thanks for the ride. I'm Reynolds. Gong Reynolds. Ever hear of me? Yeah. You sell pipe dreams. If you know that much, you know that shoveling the snow ain't no job for a preacher. So you're tough. Then what? And you give me Burke's little envelope. What is this? A mass meeting? You pass it over, or do we have to go out in the country and get it twisted out of you? You're wrong twice. I haven't got it. You must think I'm fool. Someone beat me to it. Who, Murphy? Murphy. Yeah, the bookie. Did he get it? A dame. She said she was working for Denver Red. Out at the knife and fork? Well, that sounds all right. Hey, what's up? The... You don't know? Uh-uh. I was hired to pick it up. Yeah, sure. Yeah, I believe that. Take it or leave it, but let me out of here. Don't get nervous. Wait till we hit a quiet street. I'm broad-minded. Let me off anywhere. I said a quiet street. Before you go, I'm going to search you. How do I know you ain't lying? I'm beginning to wonder myself. <laughs> Reynolds was a nice guy for an opium peddler. No bumps, no scars. He even dropped me near a car line. Pretty soon I began to breathe regularly again and headed back to the place on Webster Street. The house was dark except for a light in one of the upstairs windows. Just as I was leaning on the bell, I hear someone coming up the steps behind me. I wish you'd stay put, Mr. Novak. Now, about that horse. He's a beautiful animal. Affectionate. Look, I'm tired of this shadow act. What's your pitch? Straight over the plate, Novak. I'm doing you a favor. Someday I may need one from you. I'm far-sighted. Well, I'm near-sighted. Tell me. Light up and be somebody. What's your racket? Put me down, Novak. I got connections. You, you can't scare me. Uh, I can try. Going in for kidnapping midgets, Novak? Put him down and come on in. I don't want to draw a crowd. Make this the last time I see you, Pinky, or I'll fix it so you wish you had. Who was that? I don't know. I'm beginning to get curious. Forget it. You got the envelope? No. It don't sound so cheerful. Why not? Somebody changed my mind. Too much competition. Keep it understandable. What do you mean? Every tough monkey in town is after those papers, and Denver Red has the inside track. Who else? Tell me about the others. Why didn't you tell me? I didn't know about them. Uh, I know how you feel. I didn't know a lot of things either, but I'm beginning to learn. Start talking. Burke used to keep books for a lot of guys around town. That's where he really got his money, covering up the racket profits from the revenue boys. Don't stop there. That's all I know. That's not enough. All right, all right. I don't know, but I can guess. Burke must have photostats of some of the records and use them to blackmail the gangsters. So it's a free-for-all with me in the middle. I didn't know about it. Honest, I didn't. You didn't know, but I get slapped, sapped, and held up. Good for me. You say Denver Red got the papers? And he can have them. I'm bowing out. 
Your hundred dollars is nothing, don't you see? Get the papers and we'll both be rich. Richer than anyone in town. No dice. You want them, you get them. I'll give you... I'll give you five thousand dollars. How much down? Here's the rest of the thousand I promised you. Is that fair? Fair enough. We're going to be rich, you hear? Rich. Yeah. The richest men in the cemetery. Lancer must have thought I was the biggest sucker in the city. I was through with the papers as soon as I discovered how hot they were. I could have told him, but when I saw how anxious he was, I figured I might as well use his shakes to get the rest of the thousand dollars. I headed out to the knife and fork, but my only plan was to get Jocko off the hook. After that, I wanted a lot of time in the country until things cooled off. The joint was out near Golden Gate Park, one of those community center places where you get everything that'll go in a stomach, including bicarbonate. The brunette doll was nowhere in sight, but I saw Jocko over at the bar wrestling with a double-sized highball. Eased over beside him. Well, if it isn't the Boy Scout, Patsy Novak. That stuff's beginning to eat into your head, Jocko. Don't you worry. My lobes are functioning smooth as ice in a glass. What can I do for you uh, after you pay the bill? Did the Dame Blanche show up here? Yeah, about half hour ago. What kept you? She's pretty. And so's a tiger. Where is he? She and your friend Denver Red went upstairs. He has an apartment up there. Now, that's the way to live. If he bored a hole in the floor and ran a pipe down to the bar... Did you see the papers? No, and... Do you know a guy named Reynolds? Gong Reynolds? We've met. He was in here. He looked around and ducked out. Did he go upstairs? I don't know. You're running in big company. Reynolds and Denver Red are two of the most powerful gangsters in town. If they've got anything to do with this, you better cash in your chips and get out of the game. Yeah, don't worry. I'm all washed up with this. I heard something else, too. This guy, Lanson, is no country boy, either. Measure him for me. The grapevine has it. He used to be a member of Murder Incorporated, the Brooklyn outfit. He got out before they grew into big-time operators. Uh, three of a kind. What do you know about Murphy? Don't tell me Murphy's in on this. Murphy's got the horse wires sewed up. He sewed it up with bullets. Let's get out of here. Yeah, I will in a minute. How do you get to Denver Red Shack? The entrance is outside, but what do you care? Let's get out of here. In a minute. Patsy, they're hotter than summer in Panama. Leave them alone. I'd kind of like to see that envelope. Try the post office. It's full of envelopes. Yeah, not this one. You coming with me? No, Patsy. If you've lost your mind, you've lost it alone. I'm beginning to wonder about that. Well, so long, lover. I worked out of the place without causing any fuss. Eased into the apartment entrance. The place was quiet. It was so quiet you could hear me breathing as I worked my way up the stairs. There was a carpet in the halls, but even then I was careful. I listened at the door and there wasn't a sound inside. After a while I tried the knob. The door opened. With a fog outside you could barely make out anything in the place. Something told me to back out and forget it. There was something I wanted to know. I held my breath and listened. All I could hear was the jukebox faintly from the cafe below. And I felt for the light switch. Don't move. You're covered. What are you waiting for, Helman? A payoff? You, baby. Keep your hands up. Where's the gun? I ate it. I guess it wasn't much good at that. You didn't have any bullets left. You counted them? I counted the bullets in the body. Six bullets, one load. Who got it? Or do I have to guess? Denver Redden is Dame. Name's Blanche. Ella? Yeah, I know her. She used to roll stroke ore in my lifeboat. She looks the type. 
You want to tell me about it, or do we go downtown first? I didn't kill them, Helen. Who made those holes in them? Termites? If they did, you better keep your hat on. They might get hungry again. You got all the brains, Novak. You better shake them up. You're going to need them. You ought to get a refund on that crystal ball, Helen. That's not a bad idea. Or maybe I can swap it for a television set. I'd like to see you on those San Quentin broadcasts. You saw me come in, you fathead. You can't pin this one on me. It's pinned, Novak, but good. In fact, it's a hat pin. Try making sense. Try making this not fit your head. This is my hat. Now all you got to do is get rid of the five people who saw you wearing it earlier this evening at the boarding house. And you're clear. We were halfway down to the Hall of Justice before I could talk Hellman into giving me another chance. Murphy was really the one who sensed it. I picked him up by phone at one of his bookie joints with Hellman listening in on an extension. Yeah, it was short and sweet. Novak? Yeah, I've heard the name. What's itching you? This may not be my business, but I got a good reason for wanting to know. Spread it out, Novak. I got work to do. Did you get a phone call tonight about an envelope with some photostatic copies of a bunch of records? What's it to you, Novak? Yeah, you did then. Yeah, some nut, I guess. Didn't give his name. Town's full of them these days. He wouldn't be a nut if Burke had something on you. Hey, what is this? Burke's got nothing on me. I pay my taxes. What is this, Novak? Some new form of shakedown? Yeah, Murphy. But you're not up the tree. Thanks a lot. Yeah, it could fit. Do I get a chance to prove it? I can't let you go, Novak. But what if I should bend over for a minute to pick up this pencil and the door open and all? Try it and see, Helmer. Just once. After that, I began to figure my bad luck had run out for the day. I jumped a cab and went down to the waterfront, but not to my pier. There was a guy at Pier 23 who was a friend of mine. He had a gun and a rowboat, and I borrowed both of them. I pushed off without being too careful, because between the wind and the cross-chop, nobody was going to be hearing anything. Even with everything on my side, it was a long, hard row. When I hit the bottom of the ladder at the end of Pier 19, I had to sit in the boat to let my heart slow down. It was blacker the inside of Hellman's dress shoes. I took my time edging down the pier. I was just about to slide into my boathouse when I tripped the booby trap. I did a Brody, and somewhere along the line, I lost my gun, which put me even up with Lawson. He turned on the lights. Novak, you have to sneak up in your own office. You ought to pay the rent regular. I see the gags. You fix up this welcome? I was all alone and didn't like the idea of being caught from behind. What would you do about a frontal attack? I've got this gun. But since it's only you, I don't have to worry. I wouldn't say that. I think you've got all kinds of worries. Everybody has got something. And you've got Reynolds. Where is he? Take it easy. I just saw him earlier tonight and he mentioned your name. Let's keep that for the society column. I'll take the envelope. I didn't get it for the simple reason that there isn't any envelope. That fall on the head make it soft? You told me you saw it. Nothing important. Just some regular business letters. Nothing to stand up in court. I still don't understand this. You don't make sense. And I don't make dough either. I don't have the envelope. Where do you want to search me? I'm not getting that close to you. You're going off on some tangent that I don't understand. So we'll just sit and wait till you get ready. Or until Reynolds gets here. That's supposed to scare me. Look at it this way. You don't mind if I talk. I can listen. Now you sit there with your back to the door. That's right. Now, I'll just warm the place up by closing the door. Now, 
You were saying? Suppose that the envelope was a phony. After I am on my way, you call up all the big-time hoods in town and tip them off. Now tell me why. The boys start pouring out of the woodwork to give me the business. The ones who chase me are the boys on Burke's list. Then you can pick up where he left off. I'm not boring you, am I? Not at all. Go on. Everything was as cozy as an upper berth until Denver Red gets his girl into Burke's place before I make it. You're everything but consistent. Now you'll be trying to tag me with the stiffs down at the knife and fork. Thanks for the cue. You knew that if Denver Red spotted the envelope for a phony, the news would be all over town and your racket would be kaput, so you killed him. Nice figuring. You should have been a bookkeeper, too. You even told me to come down here so you could kill me if that planted hat didn't frame for the cops. I hate to disappoint you. So, since you know everything else, you might as well know the caliber of this gun. See? I've looked into things like that before. Everything has to end sometimes, so... Don't touch that phone. I ordered that call, just in case. I said don't touch it. You'll be hearing worse bells than that if you don't let me answer it. Okay, but watch your language. Novak speaking. For a minute, I thought you was out. You're the hottest man to get hold of. But I guess it's because you're a busy guy. Well, say something. That's right, Reynolds. Huh? This is Pinky, Mr. Novak, remember? Pinky Punk. What a name. That's up to you, Reynolds. What are you saying? You want to talk to him? You still are, Mr. Novak? And Mr. Novak... Give me that phone. Now, look, Reynolds. I'm not taking any talk off you. You pay up or else... Yeah. How about that horse? You want to get onto him? I think I can toss a sawbuck into his feed bag. Oh, gee, Mr. Novak, you'll never regret it. Okay, Pinky. Who's the goat? Pinky, I said, what's his name? Gee, Mr. Novak. What do you know? I forgot. <laughs> Pinky might have forgotten, but Lansom's memory was good. I handcuffed him to the chair and told him Reynolds would be down in a half an hour. Then gave him Hellman's phone number. He confessed to everything after sitting alone in my office for a while. I know how he felt. When the feds got the news, they moved in with a fine tooth comb, but they never did turn up anything. Nobody ever did. I'm pretty sure of that. But now and then I get the idea maybe I'm wrong. So I start nosing around for those papers. I never find the things. I usually find Reynolds instead. He's beginning to get gray. Who killed the bookkeeper? That was the landlady. Yeah. Hellman got her a room, too. Heard on tonight's presentation were Ben Morris as Novak, John Galbraith as Inspector Hellman, Jack Lewis as Jocko, and Mary Milford as Blanche, with Herb Ellis, Jerry Zinneman, Kurt Martell, and Dick Ellers. Special music by Otto Clare. Listen again next week at this same time when over most of these stations, the American Broadcasting Company presents Pat Novak for Hire. This is ABC, the American Broadcasting Company. Now I have for you Philo Vance. I I like him, but um, he's got some better ones in my opinion. But this one was called Star-Studded Romance. So I hope you'll enjoy him. (laughs) 
where you get your medal. Yes, Lloyd, I know. You mean you know that I'm the one who should be getting it and that you stole my note? Lloyd, be quiet. They'll hear you. That would be terrible, wouldn't it? For you. Lloyd. Ladies and gentlemen, as president of the International Astronomical Society, it is my privilege to introduce our guest of honor at this banquet, the eminent astronomer, Dr. Humphrey J. Kent. Dr. Kent. Thank you, Dr. Hall. Ladies and gentlemen, permit me to thank you for this testimonial dinner and for the honor you have paid me in tendering it. It is an occasion for which I am deeply grateful and which I will long remember. I thank you. Before Dr. Kent returns to his seat, I should like, on behalf of the Society, to present him with this medal for his long and successful search for the first new planet to be discovered since Dr. Lowell brought to light the planet Pluto. Allow me, Dr. Kent. Thank you. Congratulations. Thank you very much on behalf of my two colleagues and myself. This has been a very great honor. This medal is not very heavy, but it carries a weighty responsibility. I think that perhaps I had better sit down. Quite a speech, Dr. Kent. Uh, thank you, Lord. For two years, you and Diane and I worked together. For five years before that, ever since I got out of college, I worked on finding that planet. Lloyd, we'll talk about this some other time. Why? Because you're afraid of what I might say? Well, don't worry, I won't expose you. Not here and not now. I'll wait. I waited seven years to find that planet. Maybe I'll wait just as long to find a way of making you pay for stealing it. Or maybe I'll do it in one second. With a bullet. up bills, buy things, make home improvements, you name it, just call Beneficial Finance. You pick the terms, you pick the payments. So call Beneficial and get that big okay. Beneficial Finance Company. Dr. Kent. Uh, good morning, Oscar. You do not mind if I finish sweeping, Dr. Kent? I will not be too long. No, no, go ahead. doesn't matter. Oh, something's wrong. Yes, yes, Oscar. Too many things. This morning, I read. Why, last night, they give you a medal because you find a new planet. Yes, they gave me a medal. For a new planet, the medal. <laughs> For me... A broom, a dustpan, a mop. Dr. Kent, I too know the heavens. Maybe I do not use a big telescope like that one there, but I know the heavens, 
I know them very well. Yes, yes, I'm sure you do, Oscar. Now, please, there's something on my mind. That I know, too. The heavens tell me things. They told me that. It is because... The astrological sign. You are a Pisces, born in February. For the next few days, you are to be careful, Dr. Kent. Very careful. Oscar, I've told you this before. I tell you again now. Astrology is nothing but hokum. It's sheer hokum bunkum. Completely false and with no foundation in fact. To you. But to me, it is a science. The only true science. Wait, you will see. Remember, you are a Pisces. So for the next few days, you are to be careful, Dr. Kent. Very careful. The signs could mean death. Busy, Lloyd? No, no, I'm not, Diane. Come in. Well, better not let the indoors of this observatory see the learned Dr. Devins with his head on the desk. What's the matter, Lloyd? Plenty. I went to that dinner they gave Dr. Kent last night. Watched him give him a medal. Saw the smug look on his face when he accepted it. On behalf of my two colleagues and myself... Well, so we got a medal by proxy. I'm just as happy. Scientists work for science, not recognition. Recognition never hurt, though. Let me ask you something, Diane. Uh Uh-uh, Dr. Peters, please. It's working hours. Oh. Lloyd, why don't I see you after hours anymore? I'll get around to that, Diane. Diane, did you notice Oscar snooping around my desk at any time? The janitor? Yes. What would he be doing at your desk? Oh, pretending to clean, but actually to spy. You know he's very sold on astrology, don't you? Yes, but I'm... I'm more concerned at the moment with you and me. What's happened to us, Lloyd? What's happened? Nothing's happened. I'm tired, Diane. I'm tired of this place, of working... Of Dr. Kent. And of me, eh? I said of everything and I meant it. Leave me alone, will you? Just like that. Leave you alone. And I'm supposed to pack my things and walk out. Well, I'm not built that way, Lloyd. You're not walking out on me, oh no. Try it and you'll be the sorriest man that ever... Oh, oh, I'm sorry, Dr. Devins. Dr. Peters. I just came in to clean... I come back. Oh, come on in, Oscar. I'm leaving. But, Lloyd, you and I have to talk a little bit more about the subject we were just discussing. There's nothing to talk about. No? Maybe I can induce you to change your mind. Well, Oscar, you said you came in here to clean. So clean. I only say that because Dr. Peters was here. Actually, I come to talk to you. About what? About $300. I need $300. And you are going to give it to me. I'm going to give it to you. What makes you think that? Many things. I must have an operation, they tell me. Operations cost money. You will give me the money. I'll give you the money. Are you crazy? Get out, Oscar. Get out now. I have to clean. Not now. You don't have to. Get out. I want to be by myself to think. Think if you want to. Think about many things. But also think about the signs. You too are a Pisces. And for the next few days, the stars say there is trouble. There is more than trouble, they say. 
there is death. Hello. Vance, Markham. Well, how is my friend, the district attorney? How did you know I was home? I called your office and Miss Deering told me, Vance. <laughs> She's been very conscientious since coming back to work, hasn't she? Ellen's always worked all hours. She says she likes it. <laughs> that might be. Uh, and I have something you might like, Vance. How are you fixed for murders? Committing them, knowing of any, or investigating them? Investigating them. I've got a wonderful one for you, Vance. Happened a little while ago up at the Kent Observatory. You know anything about astronomy? A little. I know that Dr. Kent, head of the observatory, got a medal last night for finding a new planet. And to astronomers, getting medals is the highest possible honor they can receive. That's undoubtedly correct. But did you know that he has two assistants, Dr. Lloyd Devins and Dr. Diane Peters, a very attractive young lady? No, I didn't. If Dr. Kent was murdered, when can I see them? Well, it wasn't Dr. Kent, Vance. It was young Dr. Devins. He was killed in his office a little while ago. Oh? I'm up at the observatory now, and the body hasn't been removed yet. Can you come up? I'll be right up, Markham. Apparently, astral bodies aren't the only things to be found there. Vance, this is Dr. Kent. Dr. Kent, Philo Vance. How do you do? How do you do, Mr. Vance? Dr. Kent, how long was Dr. Devins your assistant? Uh, For several years, Mr. Vance. He was a brilliant scientist. His experiments with the spectroscope will be studied for many years. Spectroscope, Doctor? Well, yes, it's uh, used to study stars, find out what they're made of, and to break them down into colors. Oh, I see. I understand you discovered a new planet recently, Dr. Kent. Yes, yes, I did, but I'd rather not discuss that right now. It can't possibly have anything to do with the murder of Dr. Devins. Oh, it might, Dr. Kent. In fact, you have no idea how many times it is the apparently irrelevant factors that lead us to crime solutions. Right, Vance? Yes, of course, Markham. Tell me, Doctor, how are new planets found? I understand there hasn't been one discovered in 10 or 15 years. Well, that's quite true, Mr. Vance. The last one prior to my discovery was predicted and located by Dr. Percival Lowell of the Lowell Observatory in Flagstaff, Arizona. Really? You say predicted and then discovered? Yes. You see, planets are not always seen through telescopes such as that huge one over there. They're found after years of mathematical calculations, noting the formation and motions of the other planets, trying to rationalize their movements. If I understand correctly, when extra gravitation of other planets becomes apparent, there must be something to cause that. And sometimes the something is an undiscovered planet. That's precisely right, Mr. Vance. But it has no bearing on Dr. Devon's death, as you can see. Perhaps after I see Dr. Peters, I might agree to that. Anyone else you might suggest my talking to, Dr. Kent? No, no, I don't think so. Yes. Yes, there is, Vance. You might see Oscar, the handyman here. He predicted there might be a death in this observatory, although, frankly, I thought it was my death he was talking about. Help me carry these photographic plates over to the table, please, Oscar. Yes, Dr. Peters, I do it gladly. I've got to keep working. I've got to stop thinking about Lloyd. Yes, Doctor, I know. You want the plates right here? Please. Yes? How do you do? I'm Philo Vance. May I come in? Oh, yes, please come in. I've been expecting you. Mr. Markham said you might want to question me. I do, very definitely. And this is Oscar? I am Oscar. I wish you'd have a seat, Oscar. I want to talk to you, too. 
Very well. I sit down. Well, Vance? Dr. Peters, may I start by saying that I think you're a very attractive scientist? What are you going to finish by saying? I really don't know. Yes. How well did you know the dead man, Dr. Devins? I knew him very well. We worked together for years. I see. You and Dr. Devins were merely scientific companions? Not exactly. Except that he was very busy recently. Doing what? Trying to compute the location of the planet Dr. Kent found. Only his notes were stolen. His notes were stolen, eh? And Dr. Kent then discovered the brand new planet? Well... Well, what, Mr. Vance? It's a little too early to tell yet, Dr. Peters. The dead man's notes were stolen. Mine are not yet complete. Oscar. Yes? Yes? What do you want with me? I'm not sure yet, beyond the fact that I'd like to know how you could predict death as you did yesterday. How I could do it? Anybody could do it. Anybody who knows how to read the stars correctly. By that, I suppose you mean astrology? Of course. Mm. These are trouble days for everyone born under Pisces. Dr. Devins was a Pisces. I understand your original indication was that it was Dr. Kent who was to die. I do not indicate anything. The stars, they indicate everything. And the stars do not make mistakes. Possibly not. And from all I've been able to find out on this case, neither did our murderer... holiday season, you'll hear Merry Christmas said many times in many ways, by gifts and family gatherings, by love and laughter, by carol singing, and worship in church. It's the time of year for cold weather and warm hearts, the exciting time for our children, whose dreams come alive with ice skates, games, toys, and dolls. And parents everywhere share that excitement and happiness in gathering their families around them. This holiday season is a time for renewing associations and for expressing gratitude and good wishes. As your Pennzoil dealer, I would like to convey to you, my customers, neighbors, and friends, my sincere thanks and appreciation for giving me the opportunity to serve you and to wish you a very Merry Christmas and a happy, prosperous New Year. District Attorney Markham. The star-studded murder case began the night Dr. Humphrey J. Kent, famous astronomer, was rewarded for discovering a new planet. He was threatened then by Dr. Lloyd Devins, his assistant, who subsequently was found murdered. Vance knows that at one time, another assistant, Dr. Diane Peters, had been friendly with the dead man, but had had little time for her lately. 
Vance's other suspect is Oscar, general handyman at the Kent Observatory, where the murder was committed. As we return to our story, I men report that Oscar has just gone into Dr. Kent's office. What do you want here, Oscar? Your cleaning is done. This time I do not want to clean, Dr. Kent. From you, I want money. Money? You want money from me? What for? Well, Dr. Kent, Dr. Devins, he talked to himself when he's alone. Sometimes he only thinks he is alone. Well? Just before he's killed, he talked to himself. He say, he stole my planet. That planet was mine. I find it, but he steal it. He was talking about you, Dr. Kent. That is nonsense. Maybe, maybe. And the police will not think so. You dare to come here and threaten me? To try to blackmail me? But you, you, you pay me. I do not tell the police. I do not you tell... You tell nobody and I won't give you a cent. You understand? You will talk and I will pay you nothing. No, don't hit me. I'll don't do more than that. I'll choke you. Dr. Kent. He hit me, Dr. Peters, just because I hear Dr. Devin say... Oscar. I don't care. I hear Dr. Devin say that it was Dr. Kent who steal the planet from him, that he find it, and Dr. Kent gets the medal. I hear him say this before he get killed. This man doesn't no, know... No, Dr. Kent. Perhaps you and I better talk this over. Oscar, don't say anything about this to anyone, will you? Not just yet. If... Not if you ask me not to, Dr. Peters. Thank you. You leave, Oscar. Dr. Kent and I want to discuss this more in detail. Don't we, Doctor? This place looks like a tool van, doesn't it? Scientific libraries aren't built for splendor, my friend. <laughs> Markham, listen. After I was through questioning the suspects at the Kent Observatory yesterday afternoon, I came here. I found the scholastic records of Dr. Kent, Dr. Devins, and Dr. Peters. Did they indicate anything interesting? I'm not sure yet. Now, I also found out several other things. For instance, in this book here. Ah, here it is. Class of 1940, Midwest University. Let me see. It's page 131, I believe. Yeah, yeah, here we are. Here's the dead man's record. L.R. Devins, graduated with honors, received fellowship... Later appointment to endowed Kent Observatory. School award for astronomy. Born Dantown, Ohio. Mother, E.B. Devins. Father, O.R. Devins. I want to make a note of those names, Markham. I remember them, Vance. Now let's look up the scholastic careers of Dr. Kent and his pretty assistant, Dr. Peters. There are some notes I want to take on them, too. Well, that's what we're here for. Where do we begin? That, at the moment, is secondary in importance to a much more vital factor. Where do we end on this case? Oh, sorry to disturb you at your home, Dr. Peters, but it's a matter of necessity. May I come in? Well, uh, I have company. I won't stay long. Thank you very much. Uh, Dr. Peters, I've found something very interesting at the science library this evening. Oh, what's that, Dan? Dr. Kent's voice, isn't it, Dr. Peters? Good evening, Dr. Kent. It's Philo Vance. Come in, Vance. How are you, Dr. Kent? I'm well. I was just leaving. Please stay. Dr. Peters, I came to tell you I want you at the observatory at 10 o'clock tomorrow morning. And I'd like you there, too, Dr. Kent. Would you? Why? Very obvious reason. I've been doing some research. Dr. Kent, I've found out several very interesting things. For instance? 
Well, from what I learned from Oscar, I believe Dr. Devins died believing that you, Dr. Kent, had stolen his research information on the new planet. That's preposterous. Is it? Perhaps. Dr. Peters. Yes? You mentioned something to me earlier which I haven't thought much about, but which perhaps you might clarify just a bit. I will if I can. What is it? I had asked you if you and the late Dr. Devons were purely scientific companions. You said, not exactly. What did that mean? It meant just that. Not exactly. You saw him socially? At one time. And then? Then I didn't. Who lost interest, Dr. Peters? You or Dr. Devons? He was working very hard on his notes. And had no time for you. Look, Mr. Vance. Don't try to shape a woman's scorn angle to fit me. Do you know what Dr. Devons believed about Dr. Kent here? I know about Dr. Kent here, all about him. I'll meet you both tomorrow morning at the observatory at, shall we say, ten o'clock. Dr. Kent, why must I be here, too? I have my cleaning to do. Mr. Vance, what did you hear, Oscar? He'll be off the phone in a minute to tell you why. This is a little ridiculous, you know. From what I've seen of him, nothing Vance does is ever ridiculous, Dr. Peters. Any word yet, Vance? Not yet, Dr. Peters. Mr. Markham is still on the long-distance phone at his office checking some facts. He'll be back on this one in a moment, I'm sure. Well, hurry. Perhaps you'd get... Oh, excuse me. <sighs> yes, Markham, I'm here. Go ahead. He listens now, Dr. Kent. Yes? Yes, I see. Yes, I have that, Markham. Thank you very much. Yes, it's fine. Thank you. Goodbye. My apologies to you all. There was some information lacking, and I've just gotten it. Now, before I make any definite statements, I wonder if there's anything any of you would like to say. I would, Mr. Vance. I've been thinking over what you said last night, and I'm going to tell you the truth. When Lloyd Devons broke our engagement, I was angry enough to have killed him. Dr. Peters. I'm sorry, it's true. Only, Mr. Vance, I got over that feeling. Very possibly. Dr. Kent, it is true that you stole Dr. Devon's notes, that he threatened to expose you. You couldn't let that happen, could you? So you think I killed him? I didn't say that. Dr. Peters here could have killed him for doing what he did to her. Then it's me you suspect. I didn't say that either. Now listen, all of you. Oscar, come here. You... you want me? I most certainly do. Your last name is Devons, isn't it, Oscar? Well, isn't it? That... He's my name. Lloyd Devons was your son. You don't have to admit that. Mr. Markham got a description of Lloyd Devons' father from your hometown, and it fits you perfectly. Yeah, it is true. I was his father. He did not like it to be known that his father was a janitor. A ridiculous concession to false pride. When your son's college record showed his father's initials were O.R., I thought the O might stand for Oscar, and Markham's telephone call corroborated that. My boy did not want it known that I was his father. But he was a good boy, Mr. Vance. Boys born under Pisces are brilliant, alert, resourceful, a little selfish. Was Lloyd really selfish, or is that astrology stuff all bunk? Bunk? Of course it isn't bunk. My boy, he was selfish. He refused me money. All I wanted was a few hundred dollars, but he refused me. You see, he was selfish. That proves it, doesn't it? You told me your son was a Pisces that these are troubled days for people born under that sign. Yes, that I told you, because that is true. Trouble and sometimes death. The stars say that. Rubbish. Stars can't predict anything. That's ridiculous. Ridiculous? You say that is ridiculous. My boys say that too. 
I wonder whether he would say that now if he were alive to say it. When did he say it was ridiculous? When I warned him. When I warned him that his selfishness might lead to death, he looked at me. He laughed at me. He laughed at the stars. He was laughing even at the stars when I killed him. Oscar. Oh, Oscar, no. Oh, so you were clever, Mr. Vance. You tricked me, so I tell the truth. But it does you no good. I go out that door, and nobody stops me. Nobody. I shoot whoever tries to stop me. You even, Dr. Peters. Oscar, don't be a fool. The police Police! (laughs) They are smart, maybe. But I am smarter. I have the stars to tell me things, to tell me everything. But I kill anyhow anybody who follows me. Let's get out of here. It's quite unnecessary, Dr. Peters. I'd ask Sergeant Heath of the police to wait downstairs and arrest anyone who left here. If I know Heath, he has Oscar by now. Oh. Oh, what a terrible thing this has been. But I suppose I ought to thank you, Mr. Vance. You can in a moment. Uh, Dr. Kent, don't you have a medal given you by the International Astronomical Society that belongs to the late Dr. Devins? Yes. Yes, I guess it actually belongs to him. Don't you think you ought to write a paper for the Astronomical Magazine giving him full credit? Well, partial credit, anyhow. Perhaps. Yes, yes, I'll write the paper and my resignation together. That's what I thought you'd do. Well, I'll leave you now. Thank you, Mr. Vance. Thanks very much. For Lloyd. It's quite all right, Dr. Peters. I guess Oscar thought he could get away with murder, but uh, it just wasn't in the stars. bills, buy things, make home improvements, you name it, just call Beneficial Finance. You pick the terms, you pick the payments. So call Beneficial and get that big okay. Beneficial Finance Company. Thanks for cleaning up the murder of Dr. Devons for us. And incidentally, I think you did quite a brilliant job on this case. Well, don't sound so surprised. I'm really a very brilliant person. Vance? <laughs> well, absolutely, Michael. <laughs> I'm so brilliant that I had three suspects for the murder of Dr. Devons, all with motive, all with opportunity. I'm so brilliant that I didn't know which one of them actually did it. <laughs> that isn't exactly true, Vance. You did know, ultimately. Yes, I suppose so. But I had to make Oscar break down and admit it. If he weren't so sold on astrology, I don't know how I could have done it. You'd have thought of something, Vance. You always do. And I'll tell you a little secret. I knew you'd solve this case. Knew it from the very beginning. Did you, Markham? I didn't. I guess I'm not so brilliant after all. I had to wait for the end. The end of the star-studded murder case. (laughs) 
Next, I have one called Police Headquarters, and uh, I enjoy it. I don't have too many episodes of it either, but I'm going to get them. Um, but it's a good one. And this one is called Helen March Murder Case. So enjoy it, and I'll see you in a few. Headquarters. Just a minute, I'll connect you with homicide. Homicide detail, Captain Harris. This is uh, Lawrence French, manager of the Melody Theater. I wish you'd hurry right over here. Uh, what's wrong, Mr. French? Well, uh, we're not sure yet. It uh, looks like a murder. Who is it? One of our performers, a girl. I, I wish you'd hurry right over here and see what you can make of it. All right, I will. And, uh, Captain. Yeah? Uh, come to the stage door with as little noise as possible. The show's still on, and we want to avoid any excitement. All right, sir. Well, Murphy. Yes, sir. Hey, Weaver. Yes, sir. You two men get your things. Flashlight powder, camera, and Murphy. Yes, sir. Uh, get a fingerprint outfit and meet me in front. Uh, yes, sir. Where to, Captain? To the Melody Theater. Okay. Somebody has a nice little show all arranged for us. Try to cut in on this alley without attracting any attention, Weaver. All right, Captain. Yeah, that's good. Now, I'll turn into the stage entrance here. All right. Now, come on. Don't make any noise. Watch these steps. Here, take this camera, Murphy. Are you the officers? Uh, yes. Uh, where's Mr. French? He's expecting you up front there in the dressing room. Oh, good. Anybody gone out by this door since he called us? No, sir. I've been on this door every minute. Yeah, all right, Pop. You stay on this door. If anyone tries to leave, call me or one of the boys here. You bet I will, sir. Come on, boys. Now, watch these ropes, Pap. You don't want to knock anything down. Yeah, pretty swell joint, isn't it? Yeah, all these lights blind me, though. Yeah, here we are. Hey, where's uh, the... You're the officer from headquarters? Yeah. In this dressing room right here. He's uh, lying right over there. Hmm. Stabbed in the back. Anything been moved? No, sir. I saw to that. Uh, who's this fellow? He was caught trying to slip out. His name is uh, Prince. What's your full name? Tom Prince. Know this girl? Uh, yes. 
Yes, I know. I've been quite friendly with her, but I didn't do it. Do you hear? I didn't do it. Well, who says you did? This man here, French. Yeah, what about it, Mr. French? Well, the call boy tried to get this girl to answer for her second number, but there was no response. He opened the door and saw her lying on the floor with that knife on her back. He immediately called me. Yeah, wait a minute. Who is this girl? Her name is Marsh. Helen Marsh. She works in a knife-throwing act. It's a number two spot right now. She's supposed to make a quick change and stand in on an Oriental number. Did she go through her knife act tonight? Yes. And when the call boy called her for the Oriental number, she was dead, huh? That's right. Uh, how much time is consumed between the knife act and the Oriental number? Oh, about uh, ten minutes. And she could have been killed at any time during that ten minutes, huh? That's right. Well, where does this man fit in? Uh, Mr. Prince has been uh, one of Miss Marsh's admirers. He went with her quite steadily, I believe. Earlier this evening, they had some words, and uh, Miss Marsh told him to leave. How'd you find that out? Well, from the other actors, it's common knowledge. Backstage gossip, you know. I see. Now, what's your story, Prince? What he told you is true. I did go with Helen, Miss Marsh. I've gone with her for a month or so, nearly every evening. Well, earlier tonight, my brother told me that she'd come to him demanding money or she'd involve me in a scandal of some sort. I didn't believe him, and we both came to the theater before the show tonight to see her. I see. Your brother came with you? Yes. He made Miss Marsh admit she was only trying to work me for some money. We both left just as Jose came in. Jose? Who's he? Jose Gonzalez, her partner in the knife-throwing act. Oh. Well, where did you and your brother go after leaving here? I had some passes, so we took in the show. He's still out there, I guess. You were seeing the show with him? Yes. And how do we find you back here? With Mr. French telling us that you were caught trying to leave. Well, during the show, I got to thinking that maybe Helen had some reason for saying what she did. So I came back through an exit door to give her another chance to explain. I told my brother I was going out for a smoke. I see. And your brother is still sitting out in front? Yes, unless he got tired of waiting for me and left. Yeah, we'll find out about that. Well, what did you see when you came back here? Well, I knew Miss March was in a dressing room between acts, so I knocked on the door and walked in. Yeah, and, and then... Helen Marsh was lying just as you see her now with that knife sticking out of her back. What did you do? I closed the door and tried to get back to the theater, but Mr. French caught me. Yes, the call boy had already notified me. I see. Well, Mr. French, there's only one thing to do. That is, to empty the house, see if this man's brother is in the audience, and bring him back here. Also, I want to see this Jose Gonzalez. If I'm not mistaken, that knife that's sticking in her back looks very much like one he'd used. As you say, Captain, but... Uh... Can't you wait until later, say, after the last show to make your investigation? I'm sorry, but we'll do it my way. Dismiss the audience and see if this other Mr. Prince is in the theater and tell all the performers to remain in their dressing rooms until I see them. As you wish. I'm sorry to have to do this, Mr. French, but murder is a serious matter. I understand. I'll inform the audience right after this number. All right. Now, don't frighten them. Just make some excuse, refund if necessary. That's up to you. I'll handle it. Okay, get those pictures now, Weaver. Well, I'm sorry, buddy, but you'll have to stick around. Looks like you're in a spot. Well, I didn't do it, I tell you. I didn't do it. Uh, we'll see. Now, ladies and gentlemen, we are forced to ask your indulgence in view of a tragedy which has just happened backstage. The remainder of tonight's performance will be canceled. Uh, there's no reason for excitement. Uh, those of you who wish may get the price of their seats refunded at the box office. If a Mr. Prince is in the house... Brother of Mr. Tom Prince, he is wanted backstage. A little music, please, Temple. You 
say you never saw this knife before? No, it is painted like the rest of my knives. But this one is not like the rest. It does not uh, have the balance. And as these other actors say, you were downstairs playing poker from immediately after your act until now, huh? Yes, uh, I did not know of this until I am told. Uh, all right, you can go. Uh, dismiss the rest of the cast, too, French. I'm through with them. Yes, Captain. Oh, see who it is. Where's my brother? What has happened to my brother? Now, wait a minute. Who said anything had happened to your brother? Well, it was announced that there had been a tragedy backstage. My brother has not returned to his seat. Oh, you're Tom Prince's brother? Yes, I am Dr. Prince. Uh, did you know that your brother was coming backstage? No. He told me he was going out for a smoke. Where is he? What's happened to him? Yeah, nothing has happened to him. He's right in the next room. Dr. Prince, it looks very much like your brother is in a jam. Jam? What sort of a jam? Helen Marsh was found dead in the next room. Dead? Yes. And we suspect your brother of the murder. It's impossible. Ridiculous. Yeah, nevertheless, it looks bad for him. Mr. French here found him trying to sneak out. Who is Mr. French? This gentleman in the tuxedo. He's the manager of the theater. Oh. May I see my brother? Yeah, sure. Yeah, get him, Weaver. Yes, sir. Oh, John. Oh, John, I'm glad you're here. They've got me in an awful mess. Now, Brace, I'm sorry. I want you to answer just one question. Did you kill Helen Marsh? Oh, no, no, for heaven's sake. No, don't you believe me either? Yes, Tom, I believe you. Well, I'm sorry, Dr. Prince, but I don't. I'll have to take him down for questioning. Uh, may I see the body? I'm a physician, you know. Uh, I guess it'll be all right. In here. There. Hmm. Stabbed. Yeah. What's more, she was stabbed while facing her killer. How do you know that? By the position of the knife. It was driven into her body by a left-handed man who reached over her right shoulder and drove the knife home. Hmm. My brother is right-handed. Yeah, I know, but... That doesn't prove anything. It is a point, though. Do you mind if I turn the body over? No. No, I guess not. We have all our pictures. All right. Uh, give me a hand here. Yeah, yeah that's it. Yeah. She was a good-looking woman, wasn't she? Yes, but terribly unscrupulous. I'm rather inclined to agree with Schopenhauer that women are an unscrupulous race. Schopenhauer? Well, who's he? Well, you probably wouldn't know him. He's an old philosopher. Uh, like Napoleon, huh? Well, hardly. Hmm. Look at this. What'd you find, Doctor? I don't know exactly. Look at this little round bruise in the center of a forehead, about the size of a pea. Birthmark, maybe. Not this. There's coagulation of blood here. It's a bruise. Oh, from what? Her fall? Mm, no. What caused it, then? Well, I'm, I'm, I'm just trying to decide. Now, let me see. Captain, how does this sound? Does it sound reasonable to you? When Helen Marsh started playing around with my brother with the obvious intention of getting all the money she could, she invoked the displeasure of someone else. Yeah, but... Now, that someone had spent a lot of money on this Marsh girl, done a lot for her. And when he found out that her game was making suckers out of men like my brother, he resented it even more than my brother did. Well, it's a sense that whoever killed her must not have liked her very much. Granted. Now, this man finds out what sort of a woman she is, and he gets very angry. He plans to kill her and throw suspicion on Jose, the knife thrower, by using a gilded knife, like the one in the act. Well, maybe. Now, the killer sneaked back here and between acts entered the room. He embraced her with his left arm over her right shoulder. And with her face pressed firmly to his chest to suppress a scream, he drove the knife into her body and fled. Oh, sounds okay. The murderer left one little clue, Captain. Yeah, what was that? A small bruise on Helen Marsh's forehead. Captain, how tall is this Marsh girl? Oh, five, one or two. Mm, there are five even, I'd say. 
And how tall is one of us men? Say, punch over here. Oh, about six feet. Then Helen Marsh, standing up and facing one of us, would stand with the top of her head just under our chin? Yeah, but... Captain, that mark on Helen Marsh's forehead was made by just one thing. A stud. A tuxedo stud on the front of a man's shirt, such as French is wearing. And Captain... I want to... Yes, on French's shirt front are the marks of Helen Marsh's lips, for he pressed a rouged mouth close to his body to keep her from screaming. There's your murderer, the theater manager. Police headquarters. All right, Captain. Hello, Tim. Send a car to the Melody Theater. The manager's just confessed to murder. Police headquarters. to our strawberry and whipped cream and uh, what it is it's a continuation of the Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde series because I thought some of you might enjoy that so this week we're at episodes 9 through 12 and you know it was a it, it, it was a classic it was a good book and I was going to tell you who the author of it was but I've lost it in my head so I guess that's what happens when you reach 60 and above. But uh, <laughs> when I was 50, names started eluding me. Somebody could tell me their name, and I'd forget it two or three minutes later. So 
uh, and I'm still that way. And now I forget details, so I have to take more notes. But the name will come back to me after I finish. And I don't need it anymore. But now we have 9 through 12. And kick back and enjoy this show. And uh, I know I like it. And I'll see you when this goes off for the closing. Ladies and gentlemen, we now present George Edwards in Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Yes, he should be on this train. Oh, there he is now. Henry! Uh, Henry, my boy! Father, my word, it's good to see you again. It is indeed. Uh, what luggage have you got? Oh, just this handbag and a fair-sized trunk in the van. I'll get Watkins to see about it and we'll go out to the carriage. Your mother's waiting there for you. She's been a little poorly and I, I thought it wouldn't be wise for her to come onto this grafty station. Uh, nothing serious, I hope. No, 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 nothing at all. I'm thinking of taking her to some warmer climate after Christmas. No, that's all she needs. She's been terribly bleak and cold for the past few weeks. Henry, Henry. Why, Margaret, you here. What are you doing here, Puss? We tried to keep her in the carriage as a surprise for you, Henry. I caught a glimpse of him coming along the platform, and I just couldn't wait. Uh, when did you come down from London? Two days ago. I almost let the cat out of the bag in my last letter to you. Have you finished all your exams? Every one of them. I haven't got a thing to do but enjoy myself for the next seven weeks and then back to work again. Well, well, we'll forget all about that. You're looking a little thin and pale, my boy. You need some racing over the moors with Margaret <laughs> and a little, little, little less of the midnight oil. Just exactly what I intend to do. Uh, how are the horses, Father? In fine fettle. Eating their heads off and spoiling for some good hard exercise. Oh, Margaret and I will attend to that, won't we? We will indeed. There's a meet tomorrow morning at Wickham Barnes, Henry. I told the squire you'd be sure to be there. A meet? Oh, how good that sounds. You can't imagine what the thought of galloping over the fields is like after weeks and weeks of stewing in a stuffy little room. Oh, Mother! <laughs> oh, 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 dear. Oh, what a grassy bear you are. Why, you left me breathless. Henry, dear, you mustn't lift me off my feet like that. Why not? You like it. And you're blushing, too. I should think I would, in front of all these people. Well, then, come on. Let's all get into the carriage and I can hold your hand under the rug. Uh, you shouldn't have come out into the cold anyway, Mother. She couldn't bear to let Margaret get in ahead of her. Then I shall sit between you and hold both your hands. Oh, you just don't know how marvellous it is to be home again. Are you ready to start for home, or haven't you satisfied that uh, raging appetite of yours yet? You're a nice one to talk. How many slices of game pie did you have? Oh, at a hunting breakfast, it's never the thing to inquire into these little details. Uh, can I get you another glass of punch? No, indeed. After all, we've got a good few miles to ride home. And I think we'd be better make a start. It's uh, nearly three o'clock. It's getting dark so early now. Then I'll go and say goodbye to Sir Ronald and Lady Westmore. I'll go and get the horses and meet you out on the terrace. 
I think we'd better hurry, Margaret. I don't like the look of those clouds. We're going to have a storm. I can't. This mare's dreadfully lame. Can't you do anything about her, Henry? Well, the best thing we can do is to get her home as fast as we can. Oh, heavens, look at those clouds. They're banking right up. Oh, we'll be catching it any minute now. Look, Henry, what's that over there? Isn't it some sort of a barn? We could go in there and shelter for a while. Oh, this storm might uh, last for ages. I think we'd better push on. No, I don't think it will. It might be over in half an hour. Oh, it's beginning to snow. Come along, let's get out of this. Oh, bring the horses in, too. Steady, Brutus, steady, boy. Uh, can you manage, uh, Clyde? Yes, easily. There, there. There's a good lad. Now, steady now, steady. Oh, just out of that in time. My word, it's blowing a regular blizzard. <laughs> Welcome to my castle, young lady and gentleman. Oh, what's that? You didn't see me here. I came out in the storm as well. The cold's harder on old bones than young. See? I've got a little bit of a fire going here in this old fireplace. If the young gentleman had fetch a few more of those sticks over in the corner, we'd soon have a fine blaze. Why, yes, certainly. That's a good idea. And the young lady can sit down here beside me. Don't look so startled, my dear. I'm only old Mother Hegarty. I'd be out in the fields gathering herbs if it wasn't for the storm. Why, of course, I I know you now. You live in that little cottage on the other side of Ludlow Bridge. Yes. Yes, everybody's heard of me. They come from near and far to me. I've got herbs and remedies for every ill. Rheumatism, the blight, sore feet, strangles in cattle or lovesickness. So I can cure them all. <laughs> Why, you must be some kind of a witch then. Aye, to be sure. Then can you tell fortunes? Fortunes, that I can. Make up those sticks, young sir, and put them in the fire. And when we get a good blaze going, I'll look in the palm of your hand and tell you what I can see. Double, double, toil and trouble, fire, burn, and cauldron bubble. Oh, now, huh? Henry, don't make fun. You spoilt everything that time the gypsy was going to tell my fortune at the horse show. Well, you forget I'm a man of science, or I hope to be. And anyhow, I know your future. Do you, indeed? Well, we'll see. Come along, Mother Hegarty. Tell me what you see in my hand. Aye. I a soft white hand, full of luxuries and no hardships. Anyone might envy such a hand if they hadn't eyes to see. What do you mean by that? See this line along your wrist? And this one here? Look how your life gets cut in two. Aye, there's a load of sorrow in your hand, my pretty one. You see, Margaret, you're not going to have everything your own way after all. You may mock at me, young man, but you'll not laugh a little later on. You remember what I say to you today. Show me that fine white hand of yours. Come along. Hold it out. What are you waiting for? Why, Henry, I believe you're afraid of what she might say. So you do believe her after all. Believe? <laughs> In this hocus-pocus. Then hold out your hand. Turn it towards the fire so that I can see. Here you are, then. Let's hear it all. The other one. I need to have them both. Nay, I'll not tell you anything. Take your hands away. Oh, see what you've done, Henry. You've spoiled it all. 
Oh, please, Mother Higgerty, tell me mine. I'll tell you one thing, my pretty. Keep away from a man with the signs that the this young gentleman has got in his hand. Whatever do you mean? Oh, she doesn't mean anything. She's cross with me and wants to make me out of villain. It's not me that'll make you out of villain, young gentleman. It'll be yourself. Oh, what a horrid old person you are. Because I don't say pleasant things about your sweetheart. Very well, then. I'll read what I see. So you'll not be heeding. You believe nothing but you want to if you're in love with him. Come, stir up the fire and give me light. Ah, yeah. Now I can see. Here's the right hand. Everything as smooth and fine as it should be. And here's the left. Can you see the difference? Mark the way those lines go twisting right across the palm. They break and twist and end in nothing. And the thumb. Aye, aye, that's a main queer thumb to grow on such a fine, strong hand as yours, young gentleman. What's that got to do with it? <laughs> you don't like it either. Come along now. Don't jerk away like that. You want to hear, so let me see some more. Yes, Henry, let her. You'll be wise to listen, young lady. It may save you a mite of gray hairs and sorrow if you do. Oh, let's get out of this. I never heard such a lot of nonsense in all my life. You're telling us nothing. All you do is mutter and mumble and drop hints. Aye, then I'll be telling you. One hand's the good in you, and one's the bad. What's this I see? Mercy on us, is it a man's death? And you still so young? What do you mean? Your own heart, I'll tell you. Am I right or wrong? Did no one die because of you? And not so long ago. Stop it. Let go of my hand. Aye, and that's not the whole of it. There's broken lives and broken hearts and a load of sorrow that'll rest upon your soul to weigh it to the ground. Oh, stop this. I, I don't like it. But there's another side to it. This other hand. It has fine deeds written in it. Courage. Sacrifice. A hand like that could do a power of good. Oh, well, at least it gives me an even chance. For a moment, I thought I was right for the hangman. Don't make light of him. See that mark there close to your wrist? I've only seen the like of it but once before. And that for on Ted the blacksmith's son. Him has killed a man near Bentley's Hill and died upon the gallows for it. <laughs> oh, what nonsense. What utter nonsense. I might have believed a little of what you said, but not that. Oh, give us something for her trouble, Henry, and we'll go. I think the storm's passing on. You think you ought to trust yourself alone with me? It's pretty dark outside now. Yes, and your mother and father will be getting worried about us. Come along, let's start. You leave the horses out and I'll open the door. Oh, thank goodness. There's a rainbow. Children, I've been worried to death about you. Margaret, you're soaked through. Go up and change at once. <gasps> Couldn't you find anywhere for shelter? Well, we went into a sort of a tumble-down barn for a while. Yes, and found the most weird old creature there. She told our fortune. Oh, it wasn't old Mother Hegarty, was it? Yes. What a horrible old thing she is. She told us all sorts of beastly things. Mother Hegarty did. Why, she always seems the most kindly old soul. She's a little mad, of course, but I've been told she was quite a brilliant woman once. Her husband was a chemist and did all sorts of experiments. That's how she gets such results with her herbs. She learns it from him. Hmm. 
She may be a good chemist, but I hope she's a bad fortune teller. Oh, it's chiefly character analysis, you know. I've heard that she's quite amazing at it. Though why anyone should want to be told what their character's like, I can't imagine. Surely everybody knows themselves. <laughs> Dear little mother, if only all of us were as simple as uncomplex as you. Instead of being like Henry, outwardly a saint, inside a sort of monster. What on earth are you talking about, dear? Well, that's what the old woman said. And what are you going to do about it, Margaret? Do? I'm going upstairs to have a bath and a rest, and then I'm going to get dressed and go off to the hunt ball with you, you double-dyed villain. In spite of the threat of the gallows? In spite of everything, Henry. Yes, Mother. The carriage is waiting. We'll be off as soon as Margaret finishes putting the final touches to her toilet. Oh, what a pity you're not coming, too. I'll be very comfortable at home by the fire with my knitting and an interesting book. <laughs> Much more to my taste than Hunt Ball. Uh, you, are you sure you wouldn't like me to stay with you? No, no, I wouldn't dream of it. Besides, who's chaperone Margaret? Dear me, have I got to do that? You're not to go off playing whist and forgetting all about the child, Henry. <laughs> Don't worry, Mother. I'll keep an eye on her. Oh, here she is now. Come along in, dear, and let's have a look at you. My, what a lovely dress. Do you like it? Daddy bought it for me when he was over in Paris last month. I've been saving it up for this. Oh, it's perfect. Just perfect. I'd no idea your father had such good taste in ladies' ball dresses. Our good friend may have a side to his nature that we've never suspected, my dear. Do you like it, Henry? I'll tell you what I think of it when we're dancing the first waltz. Well, if you don't make a start, you'll be too late. Let me help you on with your cloak, Margaret, dear. Oh, just a moment. Henry, pass me over that little case on the table by the window. Uh, this one? Yes, thank you. Uh, come here a moment, Margaret. See, these are some pearls I wore when I was a girl. The clasp's a little old-fashioned, perhaps, but I like it all the same. Bend down, my dear, and let me put them around your neck. Why, Auntie Marion... If I'd had a daughter, they would have been hers. Providence gave me a son, but he also gave me you, dearest girl. There now, don't they look nice against that snowy neck of yours? They're beautiful, absolutely beautiful. Oh, how can I ever thank you enough? Well, come along, let's go. Good night, Mother Darling. Take care of yourself while we're away. Indeed I will. Good night. Good night. Good night. Margaret, darling, what a dreamful frock. You look divine. Thanks, Molly. Yours is lovely, too. Is my hair all right at the back? Of course it is. If only I had red hair like yours. And such lovely curls. What's wrong with yours? It shines just like satin. And black hair looks marvelous with your blue eyes. Well, I hope Vincent thinks so. He's asked me for three dances. That looks hopeful, doesn't it? You really like him, do you? Do I? If he doesn't propose this season, I'll go into a convent. <laughs> I can't imagine it. 
Come along if you're ready and let's go down. Henry's My... waiting for me at the foot of the stairs. My dear, are things still as strong as ever between you two? Yes, I'm afraid so. I can't understand it myself. Of course, I'm all for fidelity in the long run, but you've never even tried anyone else. Now, I, I had half a dozen of classes before I finally settled on Vincent. Half a dozen? <laughs> you started flirting before you were out of school. Oh, well, I never could endure the thought that I might be missing something. Look, do you see that woman going downstairs now? Which one? The one wearing the white dress and the emeralds. Yes. Rather marvellous, isn't she? Do you know who she is? She's Mrs. Marchbanks. Mrs. Marchbanks? Yes. Don't you know? She's an American. I heard Mother and Aunt Eleanor talking about her after dinner. They didn't know I could hear. My dear, there's been a terrible lot of scandal over her. She's divorced. No. Absolutely. And they say... Oh, is that the one? Oh, do let's stop and look over the balcony at her. She is smart, isn't she? Well, do you wonder? Oh, Molly, you're dreadful. Just look at the men flocking round her. Oh, bother. What hope have we got with flounces and forget-me-nots against a dress like hers? My goodness, there's Vincent. I'm going down before he catches sight of her. See you later, Margaret. Good luck, darling. Thanks, dear. Margaret, what luck? I've been looking all over the place for you. Where's your dance program? Oh, hello, John. I'm afraid it's pretty full. Ah, let's have a look. H.J., H.J., H.J. <laughs> no need to ask who that is. Has he got a monopoly over you? There's a polka and a quadrille in the second half. Yes, but I don't want to polka with you or dance in a set. I want a waltz. I want to be able to talk to you, to tell you how marvellous you look. You know, I haven't seen you for an age, Margaret. I'm afraid there isn't a waltz left. What about this one? It's hardly started. Oh, not this. I, I promised it to Henry. Look, he's waiting for me at the foot of the stairs. Oh. What's the matter? Oh, nothing. Would you like to have this waltz, John? Would I? But, but didn't you say that Henry... I, I thought this was the first waltz. I made a mistake. He's dancing this one with that American woman, Mrs. Marchbanks. Is he? Well, I never could stand her before, but now I'll be grateful to her forever. Come along, don't let's miss a bar of it. You know, I've been thinking of you all the time I've been away, Margaret. Do you know, even in Italy, I was counting the days... Why, I don't believe you're paying the least attention to what I'm saying. I'm sorry, John, dear. What was it? I was telling you that you're the most beautiful woman in this room, and I'm madly in love with you. Stop it, John, please. You mustn't. Why not? Because... Because... Sir Henry? You don't need to tell me. It's always been him, hasn't it? Even when we were children. Do you remember that time I begged you to be my partner at the Christmas party... And you wouldn't give me an answer because you were waiting for Henry to ask you? Indeed I do. We had a quarrel over it and I fell down some stone steps and cut my head. Mm, that's putting it mildly, isn't it? I heard that Henry pushed you down. Oh, what nonsense. Whoever told you that? Oh, one of the servants saw it happen and told my sister's governess or something. I believe he was a real little fiend at times. John, you ought to be ashamed of yourself. A lot of servants gossip. Well, he was, wasn't he? I remember him flying into the most awful tempers sometimes. I'll bet there's a good deal of old Nick and him still. John, I didn't dance with you to talk about Henry. <laughs> That's right. Let's forget him. Now, how about getting out of here? It's it's horribly crowded. I hear that Lady Winterton's show of begonias is wonderful this year. Like to see them? The conservatory is just through this door. <laughs> John, you're irresistible. If only I thought you meant it. Tell me about yourself, Dr. Jekyll. 
What do you do besides hit a horse like a red Indian? I was watching you at the hunt today. Were you? I didn't see you. Oh, no. I'm no Amazon. I was comfortably wrapped up in rugs and getting a view from the marchioness's carriage. Oh. Do you utterly despise me for that? Oh, not at all. It uh, seems right enough somehow. I couldn't imagine you riding over fences and getting splashed with water and mud. Or landing head first in a ditch. <laughs> Poor Tilly Lansdowne. She did take a tumble, didn't she? <laughs> you know, you dance as well as you ride. Oh. Do you know that? You'll have my head turned soon. Does it turn easily? Too easily. <sighs> Whenever a pretty woman passes by. How old are you? Oh, now, that's not fair. Why? You're not still so young that you're ashamed of your age, are you? Well, I, I'm 22. And everything to learn. No, not everything. I can see that now. There's just that about your eyes. But still, uh, a lot, a whole lot, if anyone would teach me. Are you an apt pupil? A diligent one. Well, we'll see. Are you fond of flowers, Dr. Jekyll? Well, that all depends. I believe Lady Winterton's hothouse is marvelous. Someone was telling me. Well, the conservatory's just through this door. Shall we go? Dance must be nearly over now. Oh, there'll be at least ten minutes before the next one commences. But I can't stay out here. People will talk. <laughs> About us? Oh, I wish they would. Unfortunately, they all know I've been pursuing you for years and you won't even look at me. Suppose I keep you out here and compromise you. <laughs> you are absurd. What good would that do? If I only go far enough, you might have to marry me. You'd have to go a long way. I'll go to the ends of the earth for you, Margaret. I mean that. I'm always fooling with you, but... But you know how much I really care, don't you? Please, John. Oh, I know, I know. All right, let's go back to the ballroom and I'll hand you over to your rightful guardian. But do you know what I'd like to do? No. Take young Henry out and knock him down for what he did to you a while ago. What? What do you mean? Oh, Margaret, Margaret, don't think I didn't see. He went off with that soulless, unscrupulous American hussy when he should have danced with you. Oh, I... Really... Darling, don't let him hurt you. I feel afraid sometimes when I think of you with him. What do you mean? I can't say. What would you think of me? I'm his rival. I I can't talk about him to you. Tell you what I know. There isn't anything. I'll not believe a thing. No, I, I didn't think you would. Well, let's go back. Listen, there's someone coming. They won't see us if we stay where we are. Tell me, Dr. Jekyll, do you, do you ever come up to London? Well, sometimes, but... Uh... I'm at the university, you know. It uh, doesn't give uh, much time for pleasure. Well, sometimes, surely. You know, you must come and see me. I have a house in Mayfair. In Mayfair? Well, I may be going up at the end of next week. End of next week? Then I'll come on, Daniel. John, do you want the rest of those dancers? <laughs> I do, but... Do you want them? Yes. Very well, then. Take me out of here and don't leave me. Come along. Why, Margaret? Oh, hello, Henry. I'm so terribly sorry about the last dance. I came in here to talk to John. He's been telling me all about Italy, and I didn't realize it was our dance. Uh, I see. Oh, uh, oh, that's all right. Uh, uh, Mrs. Marchbanks, uh, uh, may I uh, may I introduce uh, Miss Utterson, 
and uh, Mr. John Fairley. Hi. You took pity on poor Henry and danced with him, Mrs. Marchbanks. Oh, that was nice of you. And all the time I pictured him as a wallflower. Come along, John, dear. The next dance must be due to start. Oh, I say, wait a minute, wait a minute. Uh, I think it's ours, isn't it, Margaret? Oh, no, Henry. We have uh, the polka and the quadrille after supper. That's all. Goodbye, Mrs. Marchbanks. Thank you so much for being kind to Henry. <laughs> Surprise, Margaret, dear. I didn't think we'd be seeing you before midday. It's such a lovely morning, and I don't feel the least bit tired. I'm surprised to hear that. You never stopped dancing from the time you got there till we left at three o'clock. No need to ask if you enjoyed yourself, then. None at all. It was marvellous. Just marvellous. Uh, had breakfast, my dear? Yes, thanks. Carrie brought me up some quite a while ago. I, I think I'll go out and get a little of this morning sunshine, if you don't mind. Yes, do, dear. You may not feel tired, but you could do with a little more color in your cheeks. Aunt Marion, here are your pearls. Thank you so much for letting me wear them. They look beautiful. But, Margaret, dear, I meant you to keep them. Didn't you understand? You said if you had a daughter, they would have been hers. I... I'm not your daughter. And I never will be. Never. Well... What does it mean, Edward? Why did she say that? I, uh, I don't know exactly. Did something happen at the ball last night? Oh, nothing in particular. Edward, you're keeping something back from me. I can tell by the way you speak. Now, what is it? Well, it's, uh, just that Henry paid rather a lot of attention to a, a Mrs. Marchbanks last night, and I suppose Margaret's upset by it. Mrs. Marchbanks? Not the Mrs. Marchbanks. I think there is only one. But, but what was she doing there? How did she come to be at the Hunt Ball? I understand that she moves in the very best society, my dear. She's staying with the Marchioness of Ralph at present. Don't forget that she's met with the approval of a very distinguished personage indeed. Forget it. How could I when it's common gossip in two continents? But does that mean that decent people have got to recognize a woman who makes an open fool of... 
hush, my dear. These things are far better left unsaid. She only concerns us because she's been the cause of making trouble between Margaret and Henry. Did she take much notice of him? Quite a bit. But, but why? Henry's only a boy. What can a woman like that see in him? Oh, he's handsome and young. These women like to try their wiles on young men sometimes. I'd like to try my wiles on her. Edward, if anything really comes between Henry and Margaret, it'll break my heart. They're made for each other. Well, we'd best leave these matters to them. Ah, there goes Henry across the terrace now. He's following her along Rose Walk. I think our little Margaret will be wearing those pearls after all, my dear. Come, pour me out another cup of coffee and we'll go into the morning room. It's beautifully sunny there. such a hurry. For a walk? Uh, mind if I come? I can't stop you. Oh, yes, you can. By telling me you don't want me. Are you going to? I'm going as far as the stables, really. I want to tell one of the grooms to have Clytie ready for me at 11. Oh, going riding, are you? Who is? John. Margaret, look at me. Why? I want to tell you... I want to tell you how terribly sorry I am. Oh, Margaret, I'm a brute. I deserve to have you hate me. I don't hate you, Henry. What then? I don't know. I was angry last night, terribly angry. And now I just feel numb and dead. Oh, Henry, why did you do it? Oh, why ask me? I was standing at the foot of the stairs, waiting for you, eager for you to come, and suddenly somebody came along and said that Mrs. Marchbanks had asked who I was and wanted to meet me. Well, I couldn't refuse. And then, well, then we started talking together and it seemed as though she'd forgotten that there was anybody else in the room. I don't think I even asked her to dance, but somehow she seemed to be in my arms and, well, we were out in the middle of the floor. Well, I can't explain it any better than that, I'm afraid. And did that mean that you had to dance with her over and over again so that everybody was talking about you? Well, I would never have done it if you hadn't given all my dances to John. Well, I'm glad I did. I enjoyed dancing with John. I like him. I think he's nice, ever so much nicer than you. Oh, I'm perfectly sure you're right, but you don't love him and you never will. What makes you so sure? He asked me to marry him. And I didn't say no. You didn't say yes either, did you? I said I'd tell him this morning. When you go out riding? Yes. Margaret, you know what you've got to tell him, don't you? Oh, it isn't any use, Margaret. You'll never make yourself feel any better this way. And it isn't fair to John either. What do you mean? You're right when you say John's nice. He is. Too nice to be hurt so badly. You've got to tell him the truth and let him go. And what is the truth? That you'd hardly have given him a single dance if it hadn't been that I'd behaved so badly to you. You know that. And you know that there's no one else but me. Oh, you're so certain of me. I hate you for it. Do you think that you can do anything to me and get away with it? Margaret, do you remember what you said to me last night just before you went upstairs to dress after we'd come home from the hunt? You said, in spite of the gallows, in spite of everything. There may be nothing in what that crazy old woman in the tumble-down barn told us, but you must go on feeling that way about me, Margaret. You don't know how desperately I need you. 
You're everything that's best and worthwhile in life to me. Don't take yourself away and leave the Mrs. Marchbanks instead. Henry, if I only understood you better. But there's something so strange and wild about you. At times you seem so, so old. As though you'd lived for a thousand years. Well, don't try to understand me. Just love me, Margaret. Love me forever. No matter what happens, no matter what I do. Otherwise, I'm lost. I know I am. I do love you. If you only knew how much. And you'll marry me? As soon as I'm through my course, you'll, you'll marry me? Yes. Yes, I will. Oh, I'm going to do such splendid things, dearest. I'm going to heal people and make them well. I'm going to get little children who are deformed and delicate and help to make them strong. I'm going to find new drugs and medicines to take away pain. I'm going to find a way to reach the tortured souls of men and women and give them peace. Now you've got that look on your face that I love so much. Now I know why I love you. Why I'd follow you wherever you go. Oh, if only you knew. I only know I love you. And always will. Forever and forever. Yes, Henry, my boy, come in. When did you reach London? I came up last night, sir. Have you seen Margaret? Not yet. I thought I'd have a word with you first. Well, sit down and tell me what it is I can do for you. I want you to give your consent to Margaret and me announcing our engagement at her birthday party next week. You, uh, you knew, of course, that we had the sort of understanding, didn't you? Yes, I knew very well. As a matter of fact, Margaret told me about it after she came back from staying at your parents' place some months ago. I trust you haven't any objections, sir. You're the son of my oldest and closest friend, Henry. And that makes what I have to say all the more painful. Why, what do you mean? Surely I'll be frank with you. A marriage between my daughter and you, Henry, has been one of my dearest wishes. And I know it's been the same with your mother and father. Then uh, let me finish, please. Margaret is my whole life. Her happiness and her welfare matter more to me than anything else in this world. Yes, but surely you know that I feel that I should be perfectly content to trust them both to you. I can't tell you how much I wish it were so. Why, what do you mean? What have you got against me? The man I give my daughter to must be able to keep faith with her. He must have a moral standing, at least to match hers. I don't say equal to hers, because no man can be on the same plane as a really good, pure woman. Oh, I wish you'd explain. What have you got against me? What are you talking about? A certain Mrs. Marchbanks. Now, don't think I've been spying on you, but by the merest accident, actually through my legal business, I happened to discover your relations with her. What? There was a certain settlement about to be made. It was cancelled. And the reason was you. You can't blame me for feeling reluctant about giving Margaret into your keeping, can you? Oh, I know I'm unworthy. I, I know I'm unfit to touch her. But the thought of losing, why, you don't know what it means. Did you think of that 
when you were paying your surreptitious visits to that woman? Or won't you give me a chance to redeem myself? We're not asking to be married yet. I won't be through my course for another year. I swear that if you'll say nothing to Margaret, you'll never have cause to complain of me again. I'll say nothing to her. But I can't consent to the engagement being made public. But what am I going to tell her? I don't know. But I imagine that you're pretty practiced in the art of concealment, aren't you? I deserve that. But it hurts for all that. Henry, why did you do it? For the life of me, I can't imagine how you could have stooped to such a thing. And so soon after Margaret promised to marry you. Surely your love for her should have made it easy to resist the temptations that this other woman offered. Couldn't it have been that it was because I love her so much? Do you think that the feelings I have for Margaret have nothing to do with the flesh? She's remote beyond me. Everything places her beyond my reach. Oh, can't you be reasonable? Perhaps I can. Yes, perhaps I can. I'm not so far removed from my own youth that I've forgotten. Then you'll not be hard on me. You'll see that what I felt for this woman had nothing whatever to do with Margaret. It's just as though I was another being, a different man. Yet still the man who wants to marry my daughter... And the man who might well break her heart and ruin her life. Oh, give me a chance. Just give me a chance. Come back to me at the end of two years when you've taken your degree and established yourself as a doctor. If there's been no more of it, well, there'll be no more. I swear there'll be no more. <laughs> Go away, you idiot. I'm working. Your supper's getting cold. Let me cook you, too. Well, drink it yourself. I don't want any. You know what the time is? Yes, it's a quarter past twelve. Go to bed and sleep your brains away. I'm going to stay here till I've got something to go right. Men up in hospital don't get some sleep. Oh, you'll end up in one if you don't shut up and go away. You've made me forget my calculations. I'll have to do them all over again. Oh, all right, all right, you budding geniuses. Give me a pain. Professor Marriott, my beloved master, I've been a coward. I've failed to keep my word. I haven't discovered the secret, but I'm going to. I've got to. I can't have this infernal, evil second self destroying me. And it is destroying me. It's growing stronger, harder to resist. Come now, here are my notes. Here is the teacher. Here are the salts. I'll start again. <laughs> Henry, are you taking them? Uh, oh, no. Uh, leave them for our successors. Well, I never thought I'd be sorry to see the last of this old room, but I must confess to something like a pang. Well, I've always said you were a sentimental idiot, Lanyon. Of course, you're altogether too detached from reality to know the meaning of human sorrows. But my feelings are of a sweeter, simpler kind. Yes, if I throw this book at your head, you'll know if your feelings are of a sweeter, simpler kind. <laughs> well, I never thought of it packing up the same time as you. Greatest surprise of my life to find I've passed the final. Just imagine, Hugh Lanyon, MBBSC, written on a shining brass plate. But then again, you, with half the honors and diplomas of the year tucked under your arm, can't imagine the humble pleasures of us lesser men. Oh, Hugh, you garrulous idiot. Shut up and sling me over those straps. Yeah, I'll never get the lock of this trunk to hold. Then, 
Where are you going this summer? Uh, I'm, uh, I'm going to stay in London. London? What on earth for? Oh, I've got one or two things I've got to clear up. London's the only place where I can do it. You don't mean that crazy notion of old Professor Marriott's deal? Oh, sorry. Uh, that's a touchy subject with you. Then shall we not discuss it? Now, come on, look lively. If you're going to catch the four o'clock train, you don't have time to waste. Hello. Your cab's waiting, Mr. Jekyll, sir. Oh, thanks, Bert. I'll be right down. So, this is where we say goodbye, is it? <laughs> goodbye, nothing. After you've finished getting around Europe all summer, I suppose you'll be coming back to London. Look me up as soon as you get there. And, um, Henry, I, uh, I know you hate sentiment and all that sort of rot, but it's been good here, sharing this little room with you. Oh, well, well, you know what I mean. I know. I found it good, too. But it doesn't end here. We're only at the beginning. <laughs> You're an idiot, you know. And a pest into the bargain, but I don't want to lose touch with you. No, me either. See you in London, then. Be good. <laughs> Not me. <laughs> Goodbye, you all red bag. Don't go blowing us up by mistake. I <laughs> can't promise. Goodbye. this afternoon to see the cricket. I was wondering if you and Mr. Jekyll would like to come too. Oh, that's very sweet of you, dear. I don't think I feel quite up to it, but I'm sure Mr. Jekyll would. Oh, you should come. Dr. Grace is batting, and I hear he's a wizard. Why don't you try and persuade Henry to go with you? He's been stuck away in that laboratory all the week. He'll get ill if he doesn't go out into the fresh air sometime. I know. I thought he wasn't looking a bit well last Sunday. Oh, I do wish he'd find out whatever it is he's looking for. We hardly ever see him, do we? You're very patient with him, dear. I'm not a bit patient. I hate his old laboratory. I'm jealous of it. Oh, but what's the use of that? Henry's promised me it won't be much longer. He was terribly excited when I saw him last. He said he was within an ace of success. Has he ever told you what it is he's trying to discover? Never. But he told me that he'd be a different person if he succeeded. That he'd lock up the laboratory and be a human being again. Oh, go and get him out of it now. The weather's glorious. Make him go to the cricket and enjoy himself. I he'd have forgotten how to be human. Do you think I should? Why not? Well, he mightn't like me going over there and disturbing him. I'd risk that. Especially if I looked as charming as you do in that new leg on hat. Do you like it? I'll admit I wore it on purpose. Hoping I'd catch a glimpse of Henry. Go and let him catch a glimpse of you. That's more to the point. I believe I will. Try the outer door, and if it's not locked, go right in. He'll be in the little room at the top of the stairs. Take him by storm, my dear. I've been dying to see the inside of the Chamber of Mysteries. They're off with you, and don't be denied. I won't. Hello, Margaret. How are you, my dear? She's come to drag you and Henry off to the cricket. Henry? Yes. I'm just gathering up enough courage to go and beard the lion in his den. You know the way, don't you? Go through the little side door and right across the courtyard at the back of the house. Yes, I know. We used to play there when we were children. Wish me luck. Indeed I do, child. Do you think she'll succeed? I hope so. I'm getting quite worried over the boy. He's lost weight terribly. I don't think he sleeps more than about three or four hours a night. He can't go on like this. Oh, there's nothing we can do about it, my dear. It's the zeal of the scientist, and he's chosen to serve the most jealous of all mistresses. She'll brook no rivals. It's a bit hard on Margaret, isn't it? Not many girls would consent with little attention as she gets. Margaret is a very exceptional girl, and I only hope our son appreciates her. Oh, he does. You've only got to see them together. 
He looks at her as though he's filling his eyes with the sight of her to laugh him during the times he's shut away by himself. Well, I must say I'll be very much relieved when he completes his investigations and they can be married. You forget the engagement isn't even announced yet. Oh, a mere formality, a whim of Henry's, but we know perfectly well the way things stand between them. Yes, they've belonged to each other ever since they were children. I sometimes... <coughs> Oh, heavens, what's that? It's Margaret. Something's happened in the laboratory. I can see her running across the courtyard from this window. Then go and see what it is. Go. Something might have happened to Henry. Yes, yes, I'll go. Keep calm, my dear. Remember your heart. I'm coming to you. I don't come to here. Help me, Edward. I can hear her coming up the stairs. Oh, 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 Margaret. My dear child, whatever's happened. <laughs> now calm yourself. Sit down here and tell us. Henry, has something happened? Oh, no, no, no. I don't know. Get us some salvelette, Edward. Here, uh, open a little cabinet by the window. Margaret, try and calm yourself, child. You must tell us what's the matter. What happened? What did you see? A man. The most awful little man. What? Where did you see him? Over there. In the room below the laboratory. Oh, he was terrible. In what way? Here, drink this, dear, and you'll feel better. Edward, bring a footstool to put under her feet. She's shaking from head to foot. Now, dear, try and tell us just what happened. I went across the courtyard and pushed open the door. I couldn't see very well as it was dark in there, and, and I'd just come out of the sunlight. Then I heard a sort of sound. I can't describe it. Something, something like a laugh. It was the most... Horrible and terrible sound I've ever heard in my life. Now don't worry yourself, child. Go on. It was just behind me, and I turned. There he was, looking at me, leering at me from the darkness. He was little, sort of deformed and terrible. I can't describe it. I, I couldn't move. Just stood there, paralyzed. And he began to move towards me, slowly, like a cat. He reached out his hands to touch me. And then I screamed. I screamed and screamed as though I'd never stop. And a sort of terror came over him. He looked over his shoulder and, and leapt up the stairs to the laboratory and slammed the door. That's all? Yes. And I came running back to the house. Oh. Marion, you stay with her and, and try and get her calm. I'll go and see what this is all about. No, no, don't go. Keep away from him. He's evil. The most evil thing on earth. But I must go, dear. If he's there, Henry must know about him. There must be some explanation. Yes, Henry. Why, I'd forgotten Henry. He might do him some harm. Oh, go, go quickly. Oh, <laughs> Margaret, Margaret, you must stop this. Stop it at once, do you hear? Nothing has happened to you. You've had a bad fight, but nothing more. You go, Edward. I'll look after her. Go quickly. I'm afraid for Henry. Try and get a doctor, and I'll be back as soon as I can. Henry, 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 are you there? 
Well, I hate to, folks, but it's time for the Pepsi Mama to sign off. And um, I'd like to stay with you longer, but uh, my geek fellow back there, he's got more important things to do than sit around babysitting me all afternoon. So, um, so I'll let him go, let him have a break, do whatever he does. And uh, y'all have a good week, and I'll see you next time. Usually I know what I'm going to do each week but right now I haven't quite gotten there so uh, y'all have a fantastic week and Pepsi Mama is going to drink plenty of Pepsi and y'all drink whatever y'all like and I'll talk to you next time oh yeah I mentioned my diabetes but uh, uh, you know I, I know I probably should exclude Pepsi too but I don't I don't drink the, as much of it as it seems like I do, but, uh, <laughs> so, but I love the stuff. I, when I first became diabetic, I tried diet colas, but none of them satisfied me. And diet Pepsi was the worst, believe it or not. So, uh, but I just went back to my regular Pepsi and I said, Hey, I just drink it all the time. I'll drink water and other stuff, and that's what I do. Uh, I'm also known as Coffee Gal, too, because I'm a coffee nut. So I'll talk to y'all later. Y'all enjoy your week, and I'll shut my mouth, and I'll sign off like I said I was going to do.